The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host, Dan. Second anniversary, Dan. Second anniversary, Dan. I should have said birthday hat, Tom, but I was just like, eh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep it rolling, <laughs> baby. But I mean, yeah, this is the um, 104th episode. I would actually say, as luck would have it. You know, 104, 52 times two. So that's two-year anniversary. This will... Actually, let me look on the day. Wasn't it June 10th when the first one came out, if my memory serves correct? I do not remember. Yeah, (laughs) this will come out within days, exactly to two years later. Um, But I said as luck would have it, because we never planned for 104 to actually be exactly two years. Just like we never planned for... As people will remember last year, 52 to be exactly one year to the day. That one actually came out to the day, to the number of weeks later. It's just that there were some special episodes with like Hardware Unboxed in 2019 that made up for the fact that it wasn't a weekly podcast for a while. And it just so happened that, oh, wow, everything just balanced out to where we did technically put out one episode a week. I mean, yeah, that the last last year showing that it was came out to the day shows that the... Uh... The schedule was not actually very consistent for, I don't know, the first bit, not not super long, but the first bit of the, the run. Well, yeah, again, and it, we started out, God, what was the original plan? We weren't even sure what we would have time to do, nor if it would be popular. So if I remember correctly, the original plan was like once every three weeks, kind of, and then I got a guest episode with good old gamer um, for this episode two, and then it started to turn into, we think we can do this together every three weeks, and I'll try to get a guest in between that. And so it became an episode for like the first few months, it was like an episode every 1.5 weeks. So it would be yeah. like, it'd be like it would come out Monday or Tuesday, and then the next week it would come out Thursday or Friday, giving me that extra time. And then yeah. over time, I mean, when you, especially when you look at other TechTuber channels that experimented with adding a podcast, our numbers were always... So, like, decently high, actually, for being something added on to a YouTube channel. And it became clear that this was actually the main piece of content our biggest fans liked. And we just, hey, we found time to do it every other week. And so far, we have almost always found a guest we can work in every other yeah. week, you know. And, and it's just this cadence is just we stumbled into it. And two years later, it's, I mean, it's worked out pretty dang well, I think. I mean, yeah, it has, but it has, like, we were able to find the time to do it every two weeks, <laughs> much more than that is where we've had, a, I think a couple months we did a run where I did, had like three in a row just because of timing of guest episodes. That mm-hmm. was a bit difficult, but every, every two weeks is pretty, pretty doable, I think. Yeah. And, um, and we do have many more big guests coming. Dan, you're aware of the people that I'm talking to. I mean, mm-hmm. like. 
I, I don't say them until they're like extra locked in stone for a reason. Um, but because I never want to be that. Oh, we have them coming. And then you hype it up for a month. Never mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like you don't want. And I do a backup guess usually in reserve. Or people that said, yeah, I can generally be free in the next few weeks. And then it's like, oh, this guy had to push it back. Can you come on instead? So I don't lock in stuff until really the day it comes out. But you know that actually the next guest that's almost entirely locked in should be one of the bigger guests we've ever had. Someone with experience at multiple of these companies that we talk about every week. And then after that, we have, well, I mean, uh, y- you would agree, Dan. The-, the people I'm talking to coming on, especially one of them is pretty yeah. massive. <laughs> Which, by the way, that person connect me to his, again, all these people have handlers for scheduling on a specific week. So can't 100% confirm that guy yet, Dan, but he's, uh, it's sounding likely. It's sounding more likely. I mean, that's pretty damn exciting then. Anyways, so yeah, lots of exciting stuff coming up. And we, and we did want to do, as I will always do, the uh, try to keep the normal cadence. News episode, which we have quite a lot of news this week, and then guest episode. But it is an anniversary, so at the end, we will answer a few extra reader mail questions, um, which remember, you can submit if you support us on Patreon. Uh, but I didn't want to do them in the beginning, because it's like, people come here for the news. So let's get into that. And yeah, so let's go with an opening reader mail here. Uh, CDW writes in, and he says, I wanted to ask Dan, what was the most exciting leak that Tom told you before the public heard it? I, I'm trying to think. Like, Be careful not D- to say one that we <laughs> divulge, right? Yeah, the uh, the DG2 one was pretty exciting to me just because seeing new entrants into the market like when when you show when you told me like you had pictures of Intel's yeah. graphics cards. That was exciting because we've been talking about like uh, Intel entering the graphics market since before you were even doing this channel and it seemed every year it gets a little bit more concrete that they're actually going to enter with discrete graphics cards and finally there's a picture of something that is at least a predecessor to something that will almost definitely come out at this point, which was super exciting. And then the other one that comes to mind is when you told me about uh, <laughs> like just a bunch of Intel like code name stuff. Like, that, it, I, know that I haven't divulged most of it, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I won't allude to any more of that, but I, I would say the DG2 stuff was very exciting to me. Yeah, which on that Intel stuff... Well, we'll get into a little bit of it today, but a lot more coming out. And I think in the next month, I'll probably start divulging a lot more. The DG2 one is a really good example, though, because you knew most of what now people know months before I ever did the first DG2 leak a couple months ago. Like, well, not the, that wasn't the first one, I guess, technically. That was, like, that was like the fourth one, but the first big one with pictures. You know, like, that was a whole saga behind the scenes of, like, confirming this one source was legit, confirming the pictures, because it's one of those things where it's like, be very careful here anytime you get pictures. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, waiting months for it to feel safe to release and also have my other long-term Intel sources finally go, okay, these pictures are 100% confirmed, 100% circulating. This is real and also... This has been seen now by multiple people put it out because a lot of the stuff I divulge is almost just me waiting for little whispers to start coming out everywhere else so that no one can pinpoint exactly 
where my source came from. So they don't yeah. know when it, because you have to be very careful. And, th- and, and that's definitely true of what I'm going to talk about today with one of our new stories, which is Alder Lake, which is I pretty much know the whole rollout plan now. And I'm just not yeah. rushing that forward because I want to, first of all, make sure it's right. And again, make sure you don't burn one of your best sources. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to do that. For you and the source. Well, on the subject of DG2, we have one of them for corrections and omissions. So I guess let us now springboard ourselves into what we've done wrong in the past, Dan. QH Freddy writes in, just like you guys can, anytime you think we get something wrong, you support us on Patreon. It says, in Broken Silicon 102, it was noted that the 275-watt TDP figure for the top DG2 card was confirmed by Igor. However, in the article, it is stated the 275-watt for SKU-1, on the other hand, could not be verified. Yeah, I'd have to double-check that. It's also worth mentioning that, like, I've talked to Igor as well, so <laughs> like that. It's at, my understanding is that Igor can't one hundred percent verify that. But you're right that the way I said he verified it was a little off from how he wrote it in the article, QH Freddy. So we certainly, we certainly appreciate that. And I mean, at this point, that's just kind of outdated. I now have multiple sources saying that it seems like it's going to be below even like well, I think I said in my like two thirty five watts, certainly below two fifty watts. It's again. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but it yeah. is really sounding like DG2 is a 3070 Ti that's just pretty much better in every way, um, if things turn out well. Although, I don't really think I'm going to do a lot more DG2 leaks for a while. It's like, we've said what there is to be said. The, the next video will probably be months later when we finally either confirm if it's 100% still true or if things are uh, have gotten worse or changed. There, there doesn't seem to be too much else to say. I, at a certain point, it just becomes... Like, oh, 512 execution units for the, like, sixth time that that's been confirmed. And now it's like, oh, now it's 230 watts instead of 235, which, keep in mind, people, I said under 235, so I'm not, it's not, I think it could be notably, I don't want to misconstrue it. Some people would say notably and think that means 180 watts. That's not what I'm saying, but, like, (laughs) I mean below 235. Yeah. Um, But I don't think there's a point in putting it out if it's like, now I'm sure it's below 220 or something ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to do that. Jensen Wang writes in, and he says, A note on Tiger Lake H. I believe most of us here find it underwhelming compared to Zen 3, not to Intel's other offerings. Intel's Superfin third-generation 10 nanometer is meant to compare to TSMC's 7 nanometer, at least according to Intel, yet Tiger Lake H clocks much lower versus Cezanne at the base clocks, despite having very similar performance per clock. And then Patrick B. Gelsinger, I guess we have two patrons that just want to name themselves after CEOs of these companies, writes in... So the, the, that's not actually Jensen Wang and Patrick and pa- Passinger? No, it is not okay. actually. Okay. To my knowledge, I mean, I guess I haven't double-checked, but to my knowledge, it is an assumption they're <laughs> not the real CEOs that just happen to support us on Patreon. Patrick says, to tack on to Jensen Wang above about Tiger Lake, it does seem it requires around 20 watts more to tackle 20 watts more than Cezanne to achieve the same performance. Harambox showed this in their review of the i7-11800H. And, I mean... This correction kind of comes from, I believe, the last episode with Jared's tech um, and before where I said that I'm not quite sure why so many people in the Moore's Law's Dead community are trashing, shall we say, Tiger Lake H. It's like when you say things like, oh, it uses 20 watts more for similar performance, I also go, yep, it's 10 nanometer versus 7, and now at mm-hmm. least it has PCIe 4.0. Cezanne does not. It has USB 4. Cezanne does not. In a lot of games, it performs better. I'm not 
acting like Tiger Lake's better than Cezanne. I certainly don't think that. I just think that when you take Tiger Lake four core with good graphics, Tiger Lake H with eight cores, good gaming CPU performance, and put these next to Cezanne and Lucian, you go, Intel's got a competitive mobile lineup, not better in every way, and you would certainly be able to make the argument overall AMDs is still, at the very least, more efficient. But... Intel's way better than they were, my God, you guys, when it was Ice Lake and, Com and uh, yeah, I guess in Coffee and Comet Lake versus Renoir. And that's my only point with Tiger Lake is that it's it's competitive again. And yeah. to trash it is to just miss its benefits. Like it has some single-threaded encoding and PCIe 4.0 connectivity benefits that Cezanne doesn't have. That's not that I'm saying it's better, and that's not that I'm saying it's more efficient. It's not per core for sure. But it is decent and it's a huge upgrade from what they had and i think when you see tiger lakes boosting to five gigahertz that that bodes well for what we can expect out of alder lake that's all i'm saying i don't think tiger lake should be trash i'm not saying you can't argue saison's better there's a reason to i mean aside from <laughs> aside from availability of laptops that have those parts in it it's there's a reason to get it over uh renoir or in certain contexts yeah, but thanks for writing it, of course. You know, that's what this is for also just to clear up misconceptions because I think a lot of times people think I'm more hardcore on a point than I really am. Um, the Ghost of Rory Reed writes in, oh, how nice, from the afterlife, Dan, and says, in addition to AM, uh, an addition to the AM5 LGA thing, there are real engineering reasons to go with LGA. Generally, at a denser pin arrangements, LGA is sturdier than PGA, so you know, with the pins and on the mm -hmm. CPU instead of on the uh, socket. So not only is the socket being damaged and not the CPU, but also LGA has lower likelihood of getting damaged than APGA when pushing the pin density higher. LGA thus makes also plain engineering sense, and I would be more careful about assuming it means a price increase with Ryzen 6000 lineup, especially also because it is reasonable to assume higher core counts, especially with the later Ryzen generations on AM5. So even if LGA was used to protect increasingly expensive CPUs, it could be not just because of this, but price increases tier for tier, but just in addition to new higher end tiers to make it easier to support 24 cores and higher. So he's referencing something that I brought up multiple times, which is all the way back in the early days of AM4 and Threadripper, they were like, why is Threadripper LGA and why is AM4 not? And mm -hmm. AMD's answer was, well, the CPUs are far more expensive than the motherboards with Threadripper and Epic, so you want to make sure the CPU is less likely to break, and that's not necessarily always true with, you know, um, AM4. He's saying, well, maybe that was true, but that also in the future that there are a lot of legitimate reasons outside of cost to do LGA yeah. on AM5 moving forward that AM4 just didn't need. Yeah, I mean, what, once you're getting to those higher pin densities, they have to make those pins... Even ridiculous, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and it's I, even more unreliable and scary to handle. Yeah, I could imagine with uh, uh, almost two thousand pins, a lot of angry <laughs> posts on Tom's hardware or, or in Reddit about how they broke their shiny new sixty nine hundred XT because uh, the pins are weak as hell. Well, and we'll get to this in a later story, but it will be interesting to see Zen three D. I, I assume is on yeah. AM four like how expensive those chips are and how much people's hands are vibrating and nervousness when they put that in the <laughs> socket. Like, cause I'm like, I could be easily see, like if they called it, you know, again, like a five, nine, 
X3D edition if that thing was like a thousand bucks. And you're just like holding this pins. Like, why mm-hmm. are you still using pins? <laughs> yeah. It's like, because we have to, all right? Because we have to. Because we plan for $300 CPUs. And now we they're just, a thousand. Yeah. Now they're a thousand because Intel just, you know, well, I almost said something <laughs> lewd. Did something off for <laughs> 10 years. Um, AC666 writes in and says, Correction on broken Silicon 103. Jared's tech statement on custom PCIe ports. They're actually a standard port called Oculink. So he's talking about for external GPU enclosures. He's like, it was a custom thing. He's like, no, it is a standard. It's called Oculink, and it's used widely in servers for cable PCIe. But the downside is that they use a custom pinout on the connectors to lock you down into accessory ecosystems. Ah, so it's not like a protocol or solution that's unique to, what was it? Who did that? I think it was, was it Razer? I think it was Dell. Um, But they make the accessory proprietary because, you know, why not? Then they can sell it to you for more than it's worth. Yeah. All right. Let us get into the news. Story number one. AMD Zen 4 Raphael info leaks all over the place. And I have a write-up here for, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six links. Uh, just like Navi 23 leaks two weeks ago, this fortnight has been dominated by a set of AMD leaks. However, this new spigot is spewing Zen 4 Raphael sludge. Where do we even start? Moore's Law is dead, Executable Fix, Gamers Nexus, and likely more point to an AM5 Zen 4 release containing the following. 20% plus IPC increases, 8-core CCD designs just like Zen 3, but on TSMC and 5 node, of course. Likely up to 16 cores on AM5, although 24 cores are possible if AMD were to ever choose to release them. And an IO die likely on TSMC's N6 node with slightly more PCIe 4.0 lanes and greater USB 3.2 support. 50% plus performance per watt increases over Zen 3, again, on the models they choose to keep efficient. AVX 512 support and at least some models sporting X3D technology. AM5 looks very beefy and built to grow with 175 watt 3D stack designs over the next five years. If you look at executable fixes leaks, and also that this is probably coming out the second half of 2022. Indeed, although Zen 4 seems to be over a year away, it looks very impressive and almost certainly set to keep the performance crowned over Raptor Lake, although Alder Lake still could have a period of gaming dominance. I mean, so yeah, I had my giant leak where I went over everything I could confirm about Zen 4. We have some reader mails for that. Executable Fix um, also put out renders of what the uh, chips should look like, the socket should look like, pins, and more information about the chipset itself. And then also Gamers Nexus has, from what I can confirm uh, by looking at it honestly and just talking to a couple people, (laughs) that that is a very, very old slide on Raphael for, from Gamers Nexus. And some of the info in it looks outdated, but it is interesting that it also points to up to 16 cores. Um, and, oh, and I forgot to mention, of course, that they will have integrated graphics on some of Raphael. So that's also interesting. Where, where do you want to start, Dan? About what, I mean, what were your thoughts about all the Zen 4 info? I mean, for me and others coming out in the past couple of weeks. I mean, you know, it's... Looks like a pretty impressive increase in performance. 20% IPC is nothing to... When I, I say know. plus, I'm saying yeah. that's like the minimum. I could easily be 30% or more. Yeah, 20% is still impressive. We're not at that, um, I don't know, seemingly like 5 to 7% Intel was advertising in the past few years. So like you can 
I know some people are pointing to it, this being on 16 nanometer, not 16 nanometers, 16 cores, uh, again, as uh, pointing to stagnation, but I don't see that, really. I think just three generations in a row of 16 cores is uh, honestly fine if they don't choose to release a 24 core model, because I, I don't think really many tasks people have require 16 cores at this point, and if you need that there is still Threadripper. um but yeah i don't know i i'm excited to see them on a smaller die and uh f- actually that smaller node smaller node yeah and i'm excited that 50 percent performance per watt increase sounds pretty impressive to me as well and and, it, and that's my quote for genoa over milan because mm-hmm. it would not surprise me you know if they just stick to 16 cores on am5 they push the crap i mean they push it to five gigahertz or higher right and let it use more energy i mean why not additionally i would actually conversely say that a big i almost titled my zen 4 video leak like is 16 cores is like three generations of 16 core stagnation but i decided to just make it a more upfront title mm-hmm. uh, and that was a major point of my video which is 30 minutes long you know like talking about how 16 cores actually makes a ton of sense, that you so there will undoubtedly be some people that say AMD stagnating because they're going with the same core count for a few gens, but that this isn't even remotely comparable to Intel's quad-core stagnation for a decade with less IPC <laughs> increases. But, but honestly, in the comments, I saw the overwhelming majority of people say that they're fine with 16 cores, which I don't know why I expected more people to complain. Maybe just because from my perspective, AMD fanboys have been so goddamn whiny the past few years when they have nothing to complain about, you know, but uh, I I didn't see the whining. I didn't see it. Well, I mean, that's actually good to hear because at a certain point, and I I do feel like this is always a thing with AMD. there seems to be this assumption that they're going to do more than they do pretty much at any time. So, you know, I was thinking, oh, three gens on 16 cores. Some people are going to start getting really, mm-hmm. real antsy, <laughs> even if uh, 24 cores is perfectly doable. They're just, you know, I, not even necessarily price prohibitive, but there's just for the cost. It, there's not really a compelling reason to do it when their competitor is still or what they're going to be competing with it, I think immediately will still be 16 cores, 24 threads at the max for Intel. Yeah. And with, again, you know, some of those cores being much weaker than a Zen four core. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one AMD contact I have like truly, well, truly in AMD internal was like, just what's the point of us segmenting in a what, what's the point of us not segmenting above 16 cores to thread rupert like what is the purpose uh and he actually said the same about pcie 5.0 like if it makes motherboards more expensive why would we why would we for having any issue implementing it bring like bring that to am5 right away it's not that you couldn't it's just 
Difficult means either delays or cost. That's the only ways you fix that if you're having problems. And there's just no reason to make this more expensive than Alder Lake's platform that will be PCIe 5.0 supported. There's just no reason, and no one needs more than 16 cores right now. 16 cores is, you wouldn't even say the sweet spot. I mean, eight to 12 cores is, 10 cores almost is the sweet spot for gaming. There's no need for it, you know? And so it just seems heavily like it's just 16 cores at this point. And, you know, just to add on to that, like, if it's an eight-core CCD design, that does require, like, a completely different design to then everything else that's going to be on the platform if if they go up to 24 cores, like, because they have two CDs and an IO die, now they need three CCDs and an IO die for a 24-core. So, I mean, there is... there'll be a more expensive IO die and more expensive packaging from adding another chiplet. Yeah, so I, I think sticking with 16 cores for the time makes, yeah, like you said, perfect sense. Yeah, and another thing to point out is that I hear from multiple people that it's the IO dice actually on 6 nanometer, which I don't believe was on Gamer's Nexus slide, showing you how mm-hmm. old that is. Um, and I, I, I can't 100% say, like, let me actually look at my leak here. I think I still put that in white text, meaning most likely, but not 100% confirmed. Yeah, I did. Because I can't 100% say, like, there's a couple sources connected to motherboards that for me would be my, okay, there's the final source I need to confirm it's on 6 nanometer. But, and there's a link in the description, guys. TSMC is planning to ramp 6 nanometer capacity above 7 and transition as many things as possible to 6 nanometer quickly. To me, that sounds like even more, might as well be another source saying, the node's on 6 nanometer. And then when you think (laughs) about Rembrandt coming with very similar I.O. on 6 nanometer, you go, you think if they're going to... I mean, granted, it's design compatible with 7, but still, it it still would make a lot of sense to just design most of the blocks in the I.O. for this die on Rembrandt first, and then make some adjustments and make the I.O. die on 6 nanometer for uh, Zen 4. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess before we, you can really draw that strong of a con- that conclusion, you need to know who, who else is buying up that 6 nanometer capacity because, you know, someone is. Or I shouldn't say that N6 capacity because someone is and isn't like... Is Apple a big buyer of that one, or are they going for N5? They're already on 5 nanometer. I don't know if they currently have anything on that, but I know that there's rumors the PS5 will have some kind of slim model on 6 nanometer, which I can't substantiate myself. I'm not saying it's not true. And then also, Z has always been rumored to be on 6 nanometer. So I was a little hesitant at first when I was told that, but then I saw that actually TSMC is going to be making more six than seven nanometer next year. And I'm like, oh, well then never mind. that there's no issue then <laughs> with everyone using six nanometer. They're just transitioning into that being the standard node, which makes sense for standard seven nanometer class node, which makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. So it like, does that confirm that it, the IO die would be on six nanometer? I, I don't think it like 100% does, but there's a lot of capacity and it's perfectly reasonable to think that that's a possibility. So, and there, there's a few questions, misconceptions, um, 
Let, let's get into some of these here related to Zen 4. Chagaholic writes in, and he asks, Hi, Tom. In your latest Zen 4 leak, you emphasize that Zen 4 is not design complete. However, my understanding of the industry is companies have designs ready long before coming to market or even before the note is finalized. Like Renoir design being completed before even before TSMC 7 nanometer was ready. In what sense is the design incomplete? Just waiting on further validation of the whole platform? Wouldn't they have a lot of things in the lab just deciding what will eventually come to market? Thanks for all the info. I'm really looking forward to the DDR5 era of computing either way. I mean, I would say if you look at Gamers Nexus's slide, which I'm told is a year old, it shows 7 nanometer for the iota. Now, we'll see if I'm wrong about it maybe being on 6 nanometer. We'll, we'll have to see. But mm. that right there is a difference, guys. You know, and in terms of five PCIe 5.0, they were considering putting that on AM5 from the launch. To be clear, they just found that requiring vendors to validate their motherboards to that wasn't really worth it for the first generation. So I'm not saying the core design, the Zen 4 cores, aren't pretty much done. But I am saying there's a lot of aspects to the completed. And again, listen to what I mean by this, Raphael. There are a lot of things for Raphael's design that are not 100% decided, like PCIe 5.0 wasn't from the very beginning, like, you know, core counts necessarily. I mean, guys, come on. Like, yeah. there's been no announcement where they've just said design complete. And it the cores are almost certainly done, but... Of, there's so much more in like, oh, do we use six? Do we use seven? Do we need 28 PCIe lanes? That type of stuff is can be decided. And other little things and steppings and clock speeds. I mean, RDNA 2 went through a lot of revisions last minute. And actually, I think this is something I talked about with Daniel Nenny before, how many like final revisions in the silicon there are at the very end and everything, you know. But again, not every facet of Raphael has, was decided until like right about now, guys. And if you think it was, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, like Raphael isn't the core design of Zen 4. It, Zen 4 will be in Raphael. And there's a lot more aspects that, that will be designed that need to go into Raphael before you actually have a package that can be sold. And there are still other little things they could decide, like, oh, do we want this much cash, you know, if they use X3D on some of the models, which I assume they will, you know, like, come on. Ben Cannon come writes on. in, will AMD segment their lineup with the lower end Ryzen being on 7 nanometers so they can have the 5 nanometer capacity for high-end RDNA 3, Ryzen, Epic, and Threadripper? Um, I mean, I would say that... And we'll get into Zen 3D soon. You could see AM4 going on for a year or so, just like the previous Threadripper generation did under Zen 2 Threadripper for the to be a lower cost alternative to people. LGA 1718 AM5 does not look cheap. Like even if it will not have PCIe 500 as DDR5. So I mean, we'll see. I don't actually expect it to be much more expensive than like, you know, what X570 was at launch per se, but it's it's going to be more expensive than where X570 is when it launches. And I, I think they're going to keep Zen 3, Zen 3D around as a lower cost alternative on AM4. And I also think that, yeah, I mean, look at Rembrandt. I think if you look at them launching Saison now uh, for AM4, I think you're going to see Rembrandt and maybe even Van Gogh APUs that are monolithic on 6 and 7 nanometer end up as the lower tiers in the lineup, which would make a lot of sense, guys. And I, and I also think that 
you have to remember that a lot, again, a lot of the shortages are substrate right now, that TSMC is building a ton more capacity that just because it's the IO die and um, five nanometer will be on TSMC does not mean that they will have capacity constraints versus if they made the IO die global foundries because TSMC is building out that capacity now because they have all that. Well, they're, they're spending like a hundred billion on like new, like they're, they're they building one in Ari- a new facility in like Arizona now too or something. Yeah. So, I mean, do I think they'll segment their lineup? Yes. But I think you're going to see it like some have 3D stacking on them. Some don't. Like, I mean, if it's just a layer like we saw with that Zen 3 prototype, they just don't put the cache layer on the lower end models. And I think you're also going to see Rembrandt on six nanometer and possibly even Van Gogh, you know, keep, you know, take up the low end. So I, the, the short answer is yes, I do think they will. But there's multiple ways they can segment this, save money outside of just using older nodes as well. I mean, yeah, it, but and on the idea of using older nodes, they can just keep selling Zen 3 indefinitely well not indefinitely probably but they can keep selling zen 3 for a while and that could fill up the lower end too yeah coladict writes in and says hi tom and dan do you think that am5 will get a gradual update to pcie 5.0 like am4 to 4.0 will amd have a shorter socket life cycle this time oh absolutely i mean they consider putting 5.0 with Raphael, they just, it was axed, you know, probably it was axed actually, not just now, like months and months ago, uh, once they started having any issues. But a lot of it, I I believe has to do with them being like motherboard vendors are going to have issues. Let's just not make them validate it to that. And I, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, okay. It it might surprise me a little bit. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if some of the highest end like X670 motherboards, um, if that's what it is, if it's not X770, I suppose. I don't know if they'll do another chipset revision for Zen 3D or something. Um, it would not surprise me if if those motherboards could be updated to 4.0 or something. Like, cause I, 5.0? I, yeah, 5.0, because I think that kind of happened with a few X470s, didn't it? I don't remember. There was something so, with yeah. Asus trying to roll that out and AMD saying no. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of them could do it. And also it wouldn't surprise me, in fact, if there was an X690 where they do decide, you know, oh, Alder Lake was better than expected. Raptor Lake sounds better than we were anticipating. Let's roll out a 24-core supporting IODI and triple, you know, CCD uh like set and then put it up tier higher and then launch X690 with PCIe 5.0 support. I don't think they want to do that and they pro and they probably I don't know. I'm starting to doubt that. But if they really wanted to, they could also do that before they even go to Zen 5. But absolutely, when you look at the power, like LGA or uh, AM5 just looks like it's built for bigger chips long term. So yeah, they're going to update this to all types of stuff. Well, and I would assume we would at least see Zen 5, uh, like you said, on AM5. And that will, I, I, I don't know, that that's a guess. I'm guessing that will have PCI 5.0. But uh, <laughs> after that, I, I guess I do wonder if they're going to keep going with AM5 or if they're going to go to like a more two-year model like Intel had, or had at one point. Because I do think AM4 kind of overstayed its welcome a little bit. And AM5 yeah. could have come out a year earlier. Yeah, maybe. A generation earlier. I, I, 
I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if, like, because what, AM4 was around, I mean, was it technically around since late 2016 with uh, those, what were it, it starts with an R APUs, I think, or Bristol Ridge? I don't remember. I, th- I thought there were some APUs on AM4 before it technically even supported Zen 1, if I remember right. So, I mean, we've had, at the time AM5 comes out, we will have basically had AM4 for four or five years. And yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if, yeah, it was kind of like we built this for Zen 4 and then like a Zen 4 Plus and Zen 5 or Zen 5 and Zen 5. And actually, I've heard that Zen 5 might actually come just like a year and a few months after Zen 4, actually. Um, like, So it wouldn't surprise me if it was just like two and a half gens instead of like three or four gens like it is this time. But I don't know. It... it at least from where I'm sitting, this looks much more forward thinking than the previous mm-hmm. chipset. I mean, uh, socket anyways. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of forward thinking, let us move on to forward thinking Zen three. I don't know if that transition worked. <laughs> Story number two, Zen 3d teased by Lisa at Computex and confirmed by Ian Cutress to become something real. Here's my little write-up here. Before AMD's Computex presentation, two seemingly unconnected rumors were floating around. One, AMD was working on X3D versions of Zen 3 that at least included something referred to as Milan X, with some suggesting there could be a Ryzen version as well. And number two, supposedly there would be a surprise announcement at the end of the presentation that blew people away. This turned out to be a prototype of Zen 3, not Zen 3 Plus, by the way, with a layer of V-cache overlaid on top of the CCDs. Although some games showed modest 5% gains, others saw a 12 to 25% gain by the 3D stacked extra cache on top of the chiplets. This is a huge, although not expected, uh, showing. It makes sense that AMD would test out X3D tech on a finished architecture before they launch one built from the ground up to better utilize this expensive tech. Most exciting is the fact that Lisa also confirmed production of these chiplets in quarter four, which means some products will get this tech in 2022. And Ian Cutris of Anantech and Potato fame shortly confirmed afterwards after the show, that Ryzen would get some models. This V-cache would come to some consumer versions of chips next year. I mean, yeah, that was the uh, mic drop moment that everyone thought FSR would be, especially after they were showing FSR on a 1060. But you would agree, Dan, that was by far the mic drop moment of that presentation. I mean, I, the entire presentation, or most of the presentation kind of was. But yeah, that that was the icing on the cake. Like And... Now we just have th- this new 3D cache system that can, in, in some games, increase performance by 25%, which I'm sure we'll see that on their next generation of CPUs, even though uh, I, I don't think this this uh, 3D stacked cache um, is, is going to come to consumers on Zen 3. <laughs> this is just a prototype. Bring this literal exact- one, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um- I imagine it'll look a lot like this, though. I mean, from my perspective, it was funny, and I've actually had some people write into the email address saying, I think people are, like, overhyping this. And I I do somewhat agree. I think some people are like, oh, this is Zen 3 Plus. This is Warhol. It's not. Warhol was an entirely different thing with a different IO die, and it was this whole other thing. That now, in hindsight, they probably canceled, not just because they didn't have the resources to do, like, 
this whole new lineup at the end of the year when there's so many shortages, but also they saw promising results from putting this cash on there. And they're like, this is better anyways, even if it's more expensive. This, you know, and, and, and on that note, though, again, I don't expect a full lineup of Zen 3D products. Um, we'll get into if why they might do that, though. But what I think we're probably going to see is some sort of, if Alder Lake is looking good, paper launch of, again, what I would call if I was AMD, a 5950X3D, a 5900X3D, and a 5800X3D. You know, I don't know exact prices. I'd guess they'd do 1000 for the top one. You know, it'd probably be bin to clock higher as well. Uh, you would also have a 5900X3D that I would assume they would probably charge like 650 for, 700 mm -hmm. for, and then a 5800X3D that they may get a little competitive with on the price, like 600 to try to price it right next to Alder Lake's top model. Who knows? They could also just, you know, not keep it a little more expensive, maybe not much more, and then do a price drop on the previous gen. Um, th that's what I think they would be likely to do. A special edition, because they can, to pull hype away from Alder Lake, probably also next to a Zen 3 Threadripper launch right before it, and an XT refresh right before it. All of these releases, carpet bombing, Zen 3 Threadripper, then XT refreshes, then a few Zen 3D special editions, just so they have something charting at the top of all the charts above Alder Lake for the Intel Zen 4 and Raptor Lake come out. That, that's what I expect yeah. them to do. I, that, I mean, that makes sense, I, I guess. If uh, like if Zen 4 isn't coming out until like the second half of next year or something, yeah, a, a small paper launch or special edition that just takes the wind out of Intel's sales with Alder Lake would make perfect sense, even if they don't even release many of them. Because, and I'll get into this on my upcoming Alder Lake like rollout leak, but Alder Lake's launching first, from the sounds of it, with the most expensive desktop models with DDR5 support, and that's kind of the focus of first, and I think these will be expensive PCIe 5.0 DDR5 motherboards, and it would just make, I think, a lot more sense to not worry that much yet, you know, and just say, hey, look. XT refreshes that are almost the same performance that you can just, you know. And if you want the strongest, <laughs> hey, here's a paper launch of Zen 3D in quarter four. Even if you can't buy them yet, here is a paper launch that stays at the top of the charts, you know, keeps like 5%, 10% above Alder Lake in all gaming benchmarks. And that's what people will use to benchmark their graphics Every cards still, you know. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I would do if I was AMD, especially when I hear that they really are having problems with shortages and don't expect those to be fixed till quarter two, that doing a full lineup isn't necessary. And this is what most people would buy anyways is just normal Zen 3. Um, the, again, though, if they really wanted to, if they really wanted to, let's be clear, they could launch a 6000 series and call it the 6950X, and it's, yeah, a V-cash-laden, better bin 5950X, and then slot it in at 800, and then slot it in at 550, the 12-core with V-cash. That would certainly wipe the floor with the similarly priced top Alder Lake CPU, and then also, you know, a 6800X, and then they could launch the 6700X, the 8-core that's basically a rebranded 6800X and so on mm -hmm. and so forth down the product stack. They, they could certainly do that too if they wanted to. Yeah, this certainly could turn into a Zen 3 Plus-ish stopgap thing if they pushed back Zen 4 at all for some reason too. 
Exactly. Right. Thank you. And, and that's also why I would think they would do that. If it's like, oh, it turns out we don't think we'll really have Zen 4 fully ready until like late, like November of 2022. Like, let's actually just do a 6,000 launch in January to just have that there before Raptor Lake launches as well. Yeah. But you know what? What will, if they did that, this be competing with? Let us move on to story number three. Moore's Law's Dead leaks Alder Lake's desktop release date and Microsoft's scheduling upgrades. Um, all right, have a write-up here as well. Tired of Alder Lake leaks from Moore's Law is Dead? Too bad. Tom is excited about it and getting more info on 12th gen, or I guess it'd be 13th gen or whatever, Intel products nearly every day. In short, expect more info on Intel's rollout plan for Alder Lake to come soon. And two of the biggest details, though, have already been leaked via the Moore's Law is Dead Twitter account. October 25th is the launch, and Windows scheduling upgrades in October are there, are coming in preparation for Alder Lake with something that could be Windows 11, although Moore's Law is Dead does not pretend that he's sure there's it's anything's being called Windows 11. There's just a big upgrade coming to Windows interfaces and scheduling over the remainder of this year. Um, so, yeah, well, I do have a lot more info about the entire. Every, I mean, guys, everything. I5s, I3s. I, I've told you a lot of it, Dan. Like yeah. i9s, like what the core counts are per segments, release dates per for laptops, special models, like all of that's coming from me. I did want to get out right away that it's it's launching around Halloween. The current plan is the 25th. Obviously, that can change, but that that's a, uh, Intel's plan right now is to have that out right after a massive Windows update. I know they've been improving scheduling already, but they have much more coming. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is exciting. Alder Lake sounds entirely on track, basically. Yeah, which is good news. Intel need <laughs> Intel needs something soon, and you know we've been talking about all their like for like the the majority that your channels existed. Now, <laughs> that was my first so, gigantic leak. I would say, yeah, yeah, it was. And I don't know, like your tweet says, I'm excited for the for it to release in the spookiest time of year, Tom. Yes. Um, and, and outside of that, I'm not sure what else there really is to say. I mean, I'll, I think I already confirmed half of what I'm going to put in that leak, by the way, in the latest Loose Ends, if you guys want to watch that. Like that laptop's coming later um, and a few other things. Uh, it, it really does seem like the focus is on high-end uh, consumer desktop with the initial release. And I think there's a a couple of my sources disagree on why that would be, not necessarily availability reasons, but like just making sure the first things you launch with have volume for those models mm-hmm. is an argument I've heard. Um, because I, I supposedly they, they should be making a lot of these chips. And yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think, uh, again, all I can really say is to the people that are like, oh, this is just not going to work because it's big little. Hey, look, maybe we'll have to see, you know, and I certainly expect some issues, but I just all evidence, everything I can report is that Intel is really gunning for this to be very good and their confidence is there. And honestly, the segmentation I see for a lot of these models suggests not what a lot of people have suggested, which is, well, it depends how much of the lineup has little cores. Guys, a, like a lot of it, like like <laughs> with a lot of the models having more little cores than big cores, like a lot more. Like some, there was one that has one big core and 
uh, eight or yeah, like one big core and like eight or nine little cores, some weird die or something. Like they're they're experimenting with substantially more little cores than big cores, or like two plus eight situation like stuff. Guys, they they wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like they're confident in the they'll be working the, by in then. the scheduling for uh, yeah for having a big little architecture which i mean that's not even the first big little architecture on windows really like no that was Lake, lakefield you know that know was actually lakefield, 3d stacked a year ago yeah and then i know lakefield had initial rollout issues but i think it's mostly been ironed out now and i guess we'll see like when intel starts publicly talking about it how confident they seem but I, if they they have all of these different permutations of big little architecture, my guess is they're fairly confident. Right. And from their perspective, whether it's going to take a lot of work or more than they expected or not, doesn't matter. They believe this is the future of their architectures, having multiple core architectures combined and yeah. leveraging that for greater efficiency and performance per watt and performance per die space. This is Intel's betting the the bar you know the farm on this being how they should design their architectures for the next like 10 years guys so if alder lake fails like whatever this is what all of their upcoming <laughs> architectures are doing like i i think there's also a lot of people like they're like well you know it depends if you think of it like an eight core or like a 16 core and it depends how many of their upcoming architectures plan to do this all of them all of them do this would you know this is like oh i don't know if hbm will work and it's like well you know, this isn't even like HBM with AMD graphics cards. This is like, no, like everything looks like it's going to have big little eventually. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know if it doesn't work. Hopefully they can bail on that uh, architecture design. Then they're then they're planning for a baptism of fire. They're planning to have Alder Lake like they like they're they're forcing themselves to make it work. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, just keep that in mind to anyone who goes, you know, it's going to be a disaster. If it's a disaster, it could be like the end of the company. So, I mean, just make sure you know that <laughs> that's what you're basically saying you think is going to happen. All right. Uh, let me move on. I just wish more people would acknowledge that. Like, I, I know. You know, like whether it's this or Z or something also from NVIDIA or AMD, when they're like, I think this architecture is going to be a disaster. And it's like, well, you understand that's all they've got for two years. So if it is, they go out of business. <laughs> Your video shouldn't be, I think this will fail. Your video should be, I think this company's going out of business. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm getting a little off the rails here. This is uh, getting mad, Dan. All right, let's move on to story number four. AMD FSR is shown off on schedule at Computex with a June 22nd launch confirmed. I don't have a write-up for this one. You know, I talked about FSR in multiple videos, including a very popular one that came out from me outlining basically the game plan, the master plan for FSR, which I think a lot of people are just still missing the point of FSR. Um, I, you know, watch that and that link in the description. I also have a link to Raja Kadori saying he, he's looking into actively optimizing Z for FSR moving forward. So that's exciting. But I mean, yeah, no write up, but we know what happened. AMD showed off FSR at Computex. It didn't, they didn't just show it off on AMD. They didn't just say they're going to bring it to consoles, APUs and desktop and, and future competitor stuff like we knew they would. They literally showed it running on a 1060 now, which is pretty nuts. Yeah. And uh, it's exciting that I can try out um, 
<laughs> FSR in a few weeks on my 3070. Looking forward to trying it out on my NVIDIA graphics card. Um, well, I mean, like, what do you have to say? What's your takeaways after seeing that unveiling? It's really hard to say until we see reviews because I don't know how much, like, that performance mode they showed off where it was, like, getting triple performance. In 4K, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Where I, I, I want to know is how much... Uh, how much of the visual quality is lost? Like, does it effectively look like it's 1440p at that point? Because if it is, it's still probably technically actually an improvement of just running the game at a reduced uh, resolution scale. But regardless, I think uh, of all of those caveats, it's, I think, more impressive, at least to me, uh, than DLSS at this point. Because... Sure, DLSS might get like 50% increase in frame rates with an actual slight increase in quality in like some games like Death Stranding, but it's also one game. And it's, and it, not it's really hard, soul. clearly, to implement it. There is not handfuls of games. And people go, well, yeah. you know, FSR isn't launching with 100 games. Whatever, it's, just, it's coming out now. Like DLSS has had three goddamn years, and I can count on my hand the games that are worth mentioning. Yeah, so if this comes out with 10 games and I don't know, a year from now, I'm assuming it will be more widely implemented because it's an, uh, uh, yeah, because it's open source. Like, I'm an open standard. Yeah, open. Sorry, not open. Yeah, it's an open standard. I'm assuming more games will implement it if it's easier to implement than DLSS is. Where I don't know. It seems like it takes a team of of people at Nvidia and whatever companies they're working with constantly to get DLSS to work on anything. So if this just can be easy or somewhat easily integrated into games. And, and sure, every maybe, game, PlayStation, sure, Xbox, a, yeah, you and know. And sure, maybe maybe at it, at its absolute best, DLSS is slightly better than FSR. If FSR is oh. in 600 games as opposed to 20, which one's the more impressive feature? Well, I think that's probably what you're going to see. I think that for in the short term, NVIDIA is just going to double down like they did with G-Sync after FreeSync came out. They're going to do more marketing pay more money to implement it directly uh, by their own people into games. And it's just going to be a handful of releases every year has DLSS and NVIDIA goes, yeah, yeah, look, we support FSR, Intel supports FSR, AMD, the consoles, whatever. But only NVIDIA gives you, you know, DLSS 2.0 in Battlefield 6 this year. Yeah, I know it also supports FSR and some people like that more, but only NVIDIA cards can do DLSS because of our Tensor cores. Like that that's what NVIDIA is likely to do. And, and then this is where I get into the massive misconceptions about FSR. Like I saw people in the comments on my YouTube channel for my FSR like master plan video, people going, Oh, you know. Why aren't you talking about image quality? I mean, first of all, until we have third-party like tests from hardware and box, frankly, because I thought their DLSS testing was the most accurate, honest, and groundbreaking. I mean, they almost got blacklisted by NVIDIA for doing it. I'm waiting for hardware unboxed to do the FSR comparisons. Until we see that, I mean, I'm not going to look at the image quality because it is coming from AMD and they're biased to make themselves look the best. And also it's over like a live stream. So why would I say anything about this compressed video? It's just not worth talking about. But but really, guys, I really have to say this. FSR is not the same solution to the image quality boosting problem, you might say. I don't even know if it is a problem that DLSS is. FSR is not 
really a DLSS competitor. DLSS will have better image quality than FSR. Duh, I know. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is FSR triples frame rates. And if what they can do is triple frame rates with the low quality mode, but 4K in low quality FSR looks better than just using the resolution scale down to effectively 1440p. If it looks better than just running the game in 1440p anyways, running a game in 1440p typically only like around doubles your frame rates over running it in 4K. Yeah. You're now tripling it with better image quality than 1440p. That's a huge deal, you know, and that is the point of FSR, making games playable at every more playable no matter your hardware. It is not to improve image quality with a small boost in performance, relatively speaking. It is to be better than using resolution scale. That is a fundamentally different idea than what DLSS aims to achieve. Yeah, and, and you know, I have my caveat at the beginning of my impressions uh, about FSR, and I think that's, that's the most we can say is obviously you have to take, you can't... Uh, you can't talk about the image quality question yet because you saw a compressed AMD live stream. So what I, I, I'm waiting for, yeah, hardware unboxed to talk about it or the other uh, tech tubers that like gamers Nexus that would do this type of analysis because they'll give me that they'll give us the honest breakdown of, you know, is How they there compare. a huge, uh, a huge loss of image quality. If there is, well, then it's not that impressive of a feature, but I don't think, I don't think they would just release a resolution scaler with extra steps. I, I, <laughs> because if that's all it is, it's not that impressive of a feature, but I don't think that's all it is. And if it is, though, then, you know, obviously I take this back of it being an impressive feature. But if it looks like 1440p with the better than 1440p with 4K triple frame rates uh, at, with a low FSR uh, setting, like you said, that's that's already an impressive feature because it it gives you better gameplay than what you had in the past. So it's a good feature regardless then. Right. And I want to get ahead of this too, because I just know once the comparisons come out, it is not going to look as good as the best DLSS 2.1 implementations. Guys, listen, I know. I never said it was going to look better than DLSS 2. In fact, I think I've always said it won't. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is that it's going to all be about the performance boost, and no one here is claiming it's going to clean up an image like DLSS does. I just want to get ahead of that because I just can see it coming. <laughs> it failed because, you know, it doesn't look as good as DLSS 2.0. It's like, no shit, Sherlock, they never said it would. I never said it would. No one ever said it would. It's not trying to look better than native. It's trying to massively boost your frame rates better than turning down the resolution. That's the point. It's it's really both really surgically attacking high-end 4K gamers who just want to get way higher frame rates while still feeling like they're above 1440p, but then also providing something to keep a usable image for, like, APU gamers. It's for both of those markets, not just for one. And that is the point. It is not DLSS. And... And Frank, we haven't, we've pretty much only been talking about what I think what they called the performance mode, not what we've been calling the low quality mode. We haven't really even talked about the high quality mode where 
I don't know. What will the image quality? Will, will there be a, a noticeable reduction in image quality at a all? Visually well, noticeable just, for most people, because yeah. I think it's going to be noticeable. You know, you're going to like do the pixel counting on um, Digital yeah. Foundry and NX Gamer, and then I, 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 again, I expect the high quality version of FSR to not look as good as native and to be somewhat noticeable. But if it's just barely noticeable, like you can't really notice while gaming and it gives you a 50% boost, eh, then they, it's really only ever trying to somewhat compete with high with low quality DLSS mode, which let us remember at launch DLSS looked worse than just turning down the resolution and DLSS brings input lag. Guys, I can't even use DLSS in Battlefield 5, not because of image quality, but because I can't hit shit anymore because of the horrible input lag. There's multiple games where DLSS ruins the gaming experience with input lag because it just inherently will with how they do it. It like requires machine learning. It uses the tensor cores. Like, AMD's solution is also an inherently lower latency thing. So again, before you diss it, that's going to have to be taken into account when they do those comparisons. All right, story number five. AMD RX 6800M launches, finally, competition and high-end laptop GPUs. And I'm quoting from TechSpot. Today, we're taking a look at the Radeon RX 6800M, the flagship laptop GPU in the series, which we've had on hand for some time ahead of the official launch. From the get-go, some good news. AMD is being sensible about naming their mobile parts with the M suffix, distinguishing this GPU from its desktop counterparts in the RX 6800 and 6800 XT. And that's an important point because the 6800M is based on Navi 22 silicon, the same GPU die as used in the RX 6700 XT on desktop. In fact, the specification for the 6800M and 6700 XT are very similar. Both feature 40 compute units, 96 megabytes of infinity cache, and 12 gigabytes of GDDR6. And one difference is the 6800M's slightly lower game clock of 2300 megahertz with the memory clock rate of 16 gigabit per second remaining the same. There's also an RX 6700M and 6600M in AMD's lineup, which hopefully we'll be able to evaluate soon. From a competitive competition perspective, AMD is pitting the 6800M up against NVIDIA's top-of-the-line GPUs, the 3080 and 3070 laptop editions. This is a true battle at the high end. In contrast, previous AMD mobile GPUs haven't been powerful enough or efficient enough to match NVIDIA's best offerings, which has left them floundering and largely unused, like last year's 5700M. Yeah, I almost saw that in nothing. However, this is likely to be true of the 6800M. Compared to the 3080 laptop GPU running at 135 to 155 watts, whether you go Radeon or or GeForce, you'll be getting basically the same performance on average. For those of you gaming on the laptop itself, no external monitor, this should be of particular interest as you may be running natively at 1080p. It should be noted there's a small CPU difference here as we're comparing the 5900HX results with a 6800M to an i9-10980HK results with the 3080. And anyways, AMD is also getting hard for marketing position with its big price advantage. The Asus ROG Strix G15 AMD Advantage Edition, that's a funny name, we tested for this review, is priced between $1,550 and $1,700, and that's at least $500 cheaper than the most affordable 3080 laptop available on Newegg, Best Buy, or Micro Center, a Gigabyte Aorus model which doesn't even feature the 135-watt power configuration. Having competitive performance and more attractive pricing is certainly a winning combination so we hope to see wide adoption in gaming laptops this time around as AMD is ticking quite a few boxes with the Radeon 6800M. And that's good because it's funny. Uh, 
me and Jared's tech, when he was on last week, did not find these results, but it seemed to be just Asus's implementation in his model just wasn't very good, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. Like it had it had problems getting the full performance out of the included laptop screen versus an external one. And additionally, it had memory with really slow timings, which hurts Saison, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, though, if properly implemented, it seems like, indeed, the 6800M is the same performance, depending on the configuration, yeah. as a 3080 laptop edition, which is no surprise, because this is basically comparing a 3070 to a 6700 XT anyways. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's pr- it's pretty much, well, not, not pretty much, it is exactly a 6700 XT with just slightly lower clocks. Um so I, I don't know. It they are competitive with Nvidia at the high end, and you know they're uh, at least from TechSpot's review, they're you can get them for like twenty five percent less than Nvidia models. So if configured correctly, which that's the whole big thing with laptops, is you kind of don't really have a huge choice in all of your individual parts. You just need to see which one offers the best packet, which package is the best with CPU, RAM, graphics card, SSD, all of that. But if configured well, the 6800M competes with the 3080. And I don't know, that's good for gamers. Also, depending on one of the, which of the, what, like 20 different (laughs) configurations of the 3080 laptop. It's, I I also appreciate the, the, the simple three card lineup to an extent, because I, I, the uh, 3080 laptop edition is a, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember how many cards it is, but it's like eight different configurations or something crazy. I- yeah, I mean, the one thing, a couple things stand out to me looking at 6800M reviews. I lampooned Ampere's efficiency. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people, me to a certain extent, expected RDNA 2 to blow NVIDIA away in laptop efficiency. It doesn't really seem like that's what's happening. It just seems like maybe a little better depending on which configuration. So that I think that's an interesting point that clearly, you know, if you look at desktop Ampere, it's like what? I don't know. The 3070, I guess, is more efficient than the 2080 Ti, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and certainly the A6000, 5000, 4000 cards are more efficient than their previous gen quadros. But... On desktop in general, especially any model with GDR6X, which is just not really an efficiency boost over GDR6, if anything, the opposite. Like, it it doesn't really seem like on desktop Ampere really moved the efficiency game forward at all, whereas RDNA 2 pretty clearly did. Not tons better than Ampere, but notably for most models. Uh, Again, especially if you look at, like, the 3070 Ti coming out, which is just going to be, like, a 6800 that uses 20% more energy with less RAM. On laptop, though, it really does seem like that 20% efficiency boost over Turing holds true, though, and it doesn't seem like RDNA 2 was this round, you know, yeah. this KO and mobile efficiency that a lot of people were expecting. At least that's my one notable to point out here is, like, it doesn't really seem like AMD's completely clobbered NVIDIA and mobile efficiency just yet. Like, I think a lot of people were expecting. Well, I mean, just based on the configurations, it looks like it's... Broadly speaking, it's pretty much using the same amount of energy as a 3080 
plus or minus like five watts depending on the configuration but mm-hmm. broadly speaking they're using the same amount of energy and that's the thing that's why it's hard to like especially with this uh this 6800m or this version of what this 6800m that came to fruition it's not clearly better than the 3080 or 3070 it's just what package what package deal uh, is the best for you to get because that's really all you have with laptops ultimately yes and that is something i do keep saying though it's just hey look you're not really buying and and i recommend people don't do that i recommend when you're laptop shopping you just still drop this insistence oh i amd or nothing you know nvidia or nothing you know just look for the best price performance and the overall configuration for your needs is what you're ultimately going to get like my last studio laptop as much as i wanted renoir in it didn't have Renoir because the overall configuration that met my needs for the right price still just had Intel, unfortunately. You know, but I got a good deal, so it is what it is. And yeah, I, I think still you're going to see a lot of competition here and a lot of Nvidia design wins. Although at the end of the day, the 5700M was almost non-existent in laptops. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Renoir, which dominated. It had, was paired with 2060s almost constant, like always. And I think you're going to see a lot more Saison plus 6800Ms than we've seen, you know, with like 5700Ms and Renoir before. I think this is still, this will be AMD finally taking some decent discrete market share in laptop. Although I don't expect it to be this massive clobbering of market share like we've seen Renoir taking so much from Intel lately. Well, and uh, you also have to add, and the the wrinkle that I, I think there's going to be a lot more models that offer AMD and the right taking of market share is also a matter of you know what OE, do OEMs decide to put in their laptops and how much mind share does Nvidia have in the laptop space like I don't know what the Venn diagram of laptop gaming enthusiasts and DIY enthusiasts maybe Nvidia's name still has more cachet in oh, laptops. Yeah. And people that are buying laptops might tend to still want to get an NVIDIA card more often, even if the 6800M is available in like four times as many models as the 5700M. Maybe that's underselling how much more available it will be, too. But, you know, people still need to decide to buy it. Yeah, I would say that it's going to be RDNA 3 and Rembrandt that are likely to make AMD truly start dominating gaming laptops. And I am starting to get a little more RDNA 3 info. It's not something I can cross-reference, in my opinion, with enough sources to be sure. But it's like, yeah, RDNA 3 is sounding very impressive, guys. And I think when you keep seeing NVIDIA being so aggressive right now with Ampere marketing, um, with their segmentation, with trying to sell as many of these as possible. It's just because I think RDNA 3 may blow NVIDIA out of the water in a way that a lot of people are underestimating. No, not in the like RDNA four times the performance of RDNA 2 way, but (laughs) I think it's pretty likely it's going to double performance. You know, it's sounding like a similar performance increase to what RDNA 2 over RDNA 1 was. And... Uh, it sounds like it, it. It sounds like Nvidia's in I, a lot of trouble. I mean, I, you don't want to draw a trend line too soon, but if trends keep going the way they've yeah. been going, yeah, <laughs> that's what you would expect. At least, I, I wouldn't be surprised if RDNA three, at least for one generation, they had, but they 
were, uh, I don't want to say completely unambiguously, but semi-unambiguously the performance leader. Yeah, I, I think there's a decent, I'm not ready to say it yet, but I think there's a decent chance it will be unambiguous in desktop. And I think in laptop, this is where you'd think maybe they do rush out laptop models before desktop even because mm -hmm. if what i'm hearing about rdna3 ends up true or the most or should i say if the most optimistic things i'm hearing from people i think are reliable ends up true then i think it would be logical to say that amd should get these into laptops as soon as possible because <laughs> it's going to be pretty laughable especially if the, you know getting rembrandt out although alder lake sounds competitive so so we'll see but yeah. anyways You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKOffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of Windows 10 for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com and make sure you use the offer code broken silicon to get a big discount on Windows software and die shrink to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website go to cdkoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law is dead sent you let us move on to story number six. NVIDIA cements Turing prices forever with a 3080 Ti. Is this a mistake? And of course, I've got links to TechSpot, um, uh, Hardware Unbox, Gamers Nexus, and something from Kepler on Twitter showing evidence of it being listed for $1,000. You know, they ended up charging $1,200 for the 3080 Ti. And I heard a thousand. Gamers Nexus heard a thousand, and there's evidence still that they last minute changed it to twelve hundred. So I do think this was a last minute price change to the 2080 Ti's price, which some people have said to me, "Would have thought the 2080 Ti was a thousand? No, it wasn't. The Founders Edition was twelve hundred, and most IOB models were above twelve. No, 2080 Ti was twelve hundred dollars, guys. Um, but yeah, Dan, yeah, I, I, I was going to say. I, I don't remember the MSRP of the 2080 Ti being $1,200. I remember, like, pretty much all discussions, everyone was like, no, 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 it was a, a $1,200 card. I I don't know what, where this idea... You don't remember it being 1000 Oh, yeah, I don't remember it being 1000 Sorry. it's It feels like, didn't even in a, NVIDIA's own marketing call the 2080 Ti $1,200, like with the Ampere reveal? <laughs> it was a $1,200 card. Well, starting at 1000 um, if you can get the five cards that sold for that, <laughs> the, you know, token cards so they could pretend it was that cheap starting at. But I mean, yeah, I didn't do a write-up. I mean, what is there to say? We knew this would be 9 to 12% stronger. I think I reported 9.5% stronger than the 3080 based on my sources. This is that's what it is, you know, whatever you want to call it, 9, 10, 11%, whatever. Like, that's where it is. It's a 12 gigabyte 3090 minus like 1% performance. That, that That's what it is. And it's 70% more expensive than a 3080 for that extra 10% and the actually giving you enough gigabytes of RAM for 4K for now. It's not even like it's 16. I mean, 
do you have anything to say about the 3880 Ti? I talked about it a decent amount of my loose ends. I don't know how much more I have to add. I mean, the 3080, <laughs> the 3080 launched for what? $700, right? MSRP. Uh, so you had the functionally same performance across two cards for, what is that? An $800 performance golf. Now there's an $800 performance golf in, I mean, uh, price golf with functionally the same performance in my eyes among three cards. And yeah, the 3080, has, the 3080 Ti and the 3090, these are all the same. They're just different VRAM configurations. Yeah. And this one has two gigs more RAM. So I guess, I don't know, is, is 12 gigs of RAM worth 200 more dollars or is, I don't know, getting 186 frames per second better than getting 100 or that be 100 like, like 74 frames per second because that that's what we're talking about at this point uh, like i i don't think i would want to spend uh what is that th- 500 more dollars for pretty much the same performance i guess maybe it will age a little better because of the two gigs more ram which you know that's the thing we've constantly been talking about is the 10 gigabytes isn't enough ram for the 3080 but you know or it's going to hold it back at higher resolutions long term for sure if if they decided to price it for a thousand dollars maybe there would be more of a discussion to be had but from the where i see it it's like the 6900 xt is pretty is stronger in 1080p and 1440p slightly weaker in 4k and has four gigs more ram and is $200 cheaper. If it were the same price as the 6900 XT, maybe there would be a little bit of a discussion to be had on which is better priced. But no, there's not nothing to say about the 3080 Ti beyond that, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, and I know someone who has one. Well, I know multiple people that have one, but I was talking to someone recently who has one, and he's like, yeah, anyone who says this thing doesn't get hot or this isn't an issue is just an idiot. <laughs> like, this thing is so much hotter than my... He was like, I think he had a 2080 Ti and a 6700 XT on ham. Um, I'm hoping in about a month we'll see or a couple of weeks to do a benchmark between actually maybe an A6000 and a 3080 Ti and one video. That might be fun. Um, and I am actually very curious how different the performance is probably as we've talked about within 10 percent like all of these <laughs> cards while well, one uses like 100 watts less energy but i mean i don't know yeah i don't have much else to say except just kind of reiterating something that i said in the my loose ends which was i see a lot of people like hardware and box saying nvidia fails to read the room i you know I the, no, I think Nvidia just was stupid. I like let's stop. Oh, they get their greed got the better of them. No, their stupidity did. Like, like they knew they underestimated how bad this would make them look next to AMD showing off all this cool stuff. And I've seen some people say, oh, well, they're gonna you know make more money anyways. So and they're all gonna sell. Why not charge more? And it's like. I guess then they should have made it 1400 though, based on what you're saying to me, if they wanted to make more money or if they're just going to get money back from AIBs like they were doing anyways with the original Ampere launch, with those weird schemes to basically de facto sell things for more money than the MSRP, then they should have made it a thousand because it's going to sell for more anyways and they'll get the money back from the AIBs in the back end. Like <laughs> I, there, There's so many arguments for why this price is kind isn't tone deaf, it's stupid. And, and a lot of it is... And let me see here. Do I have that link up? Like, I will put in a link to 
to include that there's evidence that actually availability truly, truly is getting better, guys. Like, it, it really is. And let me send you the link too, Dan, so you can pull it up. I'll send this over Skype. So here you go. Um, this is analysis that actually availability is improving. It really is, even though prices are all are horrible still, and they're going to continue to be horrible for at least another month. Well, frankly, prices will be quote unquote bad for many months, but you could see this downward pressure over the next few months. There's very real evidence by people looking at the supply chains that things are actually improving in availability for AMD products at the very least. And, and my entire point with why the 3080 Ti's price is stupid is because I don't believe NVIDIA is going to have any new lineup until at least mid-2022, if not late. And that means that eventually supply will catch up with demand before then, and you might be stuck with all of these FSR-supported Radeon cards in stock at lower prices next to this card no one wants anymore from NVIDIA. And it's like, yeah, you've got your money grab, but you just lost a ton more respect from people. And long term, this could look silly. Again, and the way I, I, I compared it to one person I was talking to is, what if this 6600 XT8 gigabyte were to cost like 350 Like they priced it higher than the 3060 with less RAM and tried to get away with that. AMD might do that, but it'll look real stupid if pricing normalizes even remotely. Yeah, and at a certain point... Um like loss of respect from consumers. I do have to wonder when it's just going to start catching up to people. Like with every review of the 3080 Ti, like they were uh, pretty much everyone's impression was this is <laughs> this is shit. Nvidia should not have put this out. Like that is going to catch up to them the more and more reviewers like just start saying these are bad products that shouldn't have come out. Yeah. And it just does feel different to me again, than like the 6700 XT was. I mean, it's not stronger than the 6900 XT and it has less RAM. And now AMD's launching FSR. It's not the same as like the $480 instead of what was probably going to be $430 6700 XT. For me, this would be like, well, it's hard to say because the 6700 XT actually did have more RAM than a 3070, but it would be almost like if AMD priced the 6700 XT at 550 because fuck it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, like, and I think they did it just just low enough in price where it's like, well, it's cheaper than a 3070 technically, and 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 it's not stronger than a 6900 XT. The 3080 Ti isn't. It has less RAM. It should have just been a thousand bucks, and I don't know. It is. I don't really have anything else to say about it. <laughs> I, I just looked up the Tom's Hardware review because I was curious what their mm -hmm. subtitle was. And it's basically a 3090 with less RAM and a worse cooler. Yeah, it is. And I, and look, it's 350 watts. The reason they can use a 3080 cooler is they don't have the GDR6 chips on the other side anymore. Cool. Yeah. But it still uses 350 watts, guys. So, I mean, it's going to spin those fans louder. QH Freddy writes in, on the topic of GPU demand in mining, I've been following the Ethereum hash rate numbers quite closely over the last half year or so. Around January or so, I came to the conclusion that mining represented a relatively small minority share of the GPU market. Even when NVIDIA was selling dyes directly to mining firms, usually the numbers came to around 20 to 30% of new cards being used in mining. I based this calculation on the assumption that the supply of GPUs was overall was in the same ballpark and an average hash rate per card that was pretty conservative, considering a lot of these cards shipped after October must have been Ampere. Since February, however, the rate of growth of the Ethereum net hash has grown along a trajectory well over twice that of the eight months preceding January. Well, of course, because of Ethereum's 
mm-hmm. price has gone up massively. More people mine QH Freddy. But continuing what he said. I mean, even if I assume average hash rates per card that are strong bias towards GA102, I still end up with numbers of well over 50% of the cards being used for mining. I wonder how much of the growth breaks down to gamers just mining in the downtime, small-scale miners with, say, a dozen cards, and large mining firms. Either way, to me at least, it seems that at least since February, mining has had a bigger impact on GPU supply than it did throughout last year. Um, I mean, yeah, potentially, but again, you just have to remember that as Ethereum's price explodes, especially relative to a lot of other altcoins, like Monero's has kind of floundered, which was another big one for mining, then people just mine at home with Ethereum. I've been, you know, mining on my 3070 this whole time. I don't have any mining rigs, but I've been having that mine in um, a 2060 as well. So that's it. But uh, I think a lot of it is gamers. And I would just go back to the original numbers where, you know, that's before Ethereum's price exploded completely relative to Bitcoin's. That is, you know, yeah, most of the demand I still think is coming from gamers who just happen to mine in the off time. This is not mostly miners causing the demand issues. Miners are complicating it, and it's kind of a runaway effect where everyone's trying to get it, so the price explodes way more than it should linearly if everyone wanted it. But I I, I do think it's mostly still just gamer demand. Yeah. It's very hard to like look up the exact numbers of how uh, of how many people are are buying these cards, just in general, and how many of those people are mining, how many of them are mining in their off time. Like a decent amount of people I know do. It, that is just becoming an increasingly common thing is people mining mm-hmm. in their off time. So it, it it is very hard to just say, you, you know, where exactly the demand is coming from, uh, unless. The only thing that would really, I think, truly definitively answer that question is if those is if demand truly were way, way higher for like NVIDIA cards with the hash rate limiter on and they didn't weren't also putting those dies in the mining cards. So it, and mining firms weren't breaking the hash rate limiters when they came out. Anyways. Yeah. Which it sounds like they mean, yeah, they probably already have for these versions <laughs> or they will. So if they um, couldn't do that, those numbers would be interesting to see. But I'm assuming they're going to break them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let us move on then to story number seven. ZDG2 performance and die size leaks. A 3070 Ti killer could be coming in quarter one, 2022. And I have a write-up here. Well, new GPU release news wasn't entirely interesting in the red and green camps this past fortnight. Intel rumors delivered. On May 28th, Moore's Law's Dead leaked the following about ZDG2. Pictures of the PCB that line up with Igor's BGA packaging leak and pointed to a 330 to 400 millimeter square die size for the 512 execution unit model. Models. Shortly after, Raja confirmed this by literally showing off a 396 millimeter square die on Twitter. Additionally, in his leak, Moore's Laws did confirm performance and efficiency are improving in DG2 samples, with TDP targets not below 20, 280 watts, but now below 235 watts, and performance that is exceeding the 3070 Ti in some gaming benchmarks. Additionally, it is still noted to be an encoding monster. Also, In Moore's Laws is Dead's opinion, or I guess I should just say, in my opinion, the most exciting news was, and I can't say which components because, you know, but high volumes of components 
four of these cards are being bought up by Intel. And if you reverse engineer the numbers, it points to a large launch of DG2 in quarter one, 2022, and pricing continues to sound very aggressive. Overall, it is starting to sound much more optimistic from Intel sources than ever before as well, with previous sources who doubted it ever coming out now being excited. And that's what I would say my most negative sources are happy now. So uh, what do you think that means, guys? I mean, the, the, the Raja Kadori tweet, if you had any doubt that DG2 was coming out, like, he, yeah. he tweeted... Uh, he tweeted a very subtle picture, Tom, where he wrote 512 EUs on the die, didn't he? Like, yes. That, that, I mean, that settles it. It's coming out. And that tweet to me sounds like at least Roger Kadori is confident about it. And from what I hear, he wasn't always confident. And it was, there was some chaos in there. Um, something that, and I, I did say this in my leak as well that needs to be emphasized is that Pat Gelsinger is a large part in a lot of the optimism too, like that Roger just didn't get along with the previous CEO as much. And obviously Murthy and him hated each other. Murthy hated everyone. That guy was just a complete asshole from the sounds of it. But literally everyone says that about him. I'm just being honest. Um, and that with Pat being there, him and Raja get along. Well, yes, Raja is kind of a peacocker, but he isn't as much around Pat, and it kind of sounds like it's because he just doesn't feel like he needs to gun for more of the spotlight, because he feels like someone who knows what he's doing is in charge now, and he can just put down his head and work without feeling tempted to go for like a CEO position or more of the spotlight. Just let Pat do his thing, because he trusts him, and it just sounds like everyone gets along better now, everyone's more optimistic, and, I, and I'm, again... You know, this thing's coming quarter one, guys. I could even see a paper launch a little before then. And as much as people make fun of it basically being an Ampere or RDNA 2 graphics card a year after those cards came out, you know, it also sounds like it will most likely be on six nanometer. It will be more efficient than the competition, and it might be priced at half the price of the competition. If, if that's the case, then you can complain about it being, oh, it's a 3070 Ti a year late. Is it? I mean, it's using less energy and costs half as much, so they're making up for it. I, I mean, I would say to, to assuage those criticisms of the card, uh, uh, something like that does need to come. It does need to be priced aggressively. Uh because if they're essentially releasing the same tech a year later or equivalent performance tech a year later, even with it, if it's more efficient, if it's the same price, I, I could see people criticizing it, even though it's like, well, it's still an equivalently good product for I'm assuming the 3070 Ti isn't going to drop in price that much by the Q, uh, quarter one 2022. So at the end of the day, pricing doesn't even matter that much. But, you know, I think releasing equivalently performant tech later they're probably going to have to price it aggressively if they want to get into the market easily qh frey writes in god he's all over this episode <laughs> in your latest dg2 video you assert that dg2 should be priced aggressively with some example prices which are aggressive relative to the msrps of the competition but should we really assume that is aggressive relative to those msrps is there a possibility that aggressive pricing from some people you're hearing from only refers to aggressive relative to the ridiculously inflated prices of most gpus on the street this year my my short answer is no, I don't think so, uh, QH. I mean, I, I think that 
you have to remember that the, the substrate shortages should be mostly alleviated by quarter two next year. So that's right after this launches. And Intel's aware of that. And Intel knows that this will be what they have till they launch DG3 Elasti, which I confirm their codename exclusively as well, uh, the next year. This is their lineup. They're not just planning... Intel it knows this isn't really an Ampere, an RDNA 2 competitor, so much as a little bit of an Ampere competitor and a lot of bit of an RDNA 3 competitor. And from what I'm hearing about RDNA 3, it certainly wouldn't surprise me. And there was like a, you know, a 7700 XT. I was actually playing around with potential pricing and segmentation the other day <laughs> for fun. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. If the 7700 XT was around 6900 XT rasterization performance for like 550 or something, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm expecting, maybe even 600. I mean, they could certainly say it's almost half the price for the same performance and less power usage. They could get away with it. But, you know, Intel knows they might do that. And if Intel knows they might do that, they know they need to then price their card that's probably 30% weaker, at least 30% cheaper. So that's where yeah. you get like a $400 top Z DG2 and then the 7700 XT hypothetically for 550 or 600. Like that's yeah. where this comes in. Intel knows that's what they'll be competing with and they know the shortages should be very alleviated by then or mostly. And so they're going to price it for that. And also they know they need to make a big bang. They know that this has to be a splash and that people will be apprehensive to buy from a company that hasn't launched discrete GPUs for Ever. So, you know, they. this is how you do that. And again, and, and again, I just can't emphasize this enough either. The 6700 XT is like a 100% markup. So DG2, you know, is a similar die size to, the, to that or to GA104. If that's true and those cards have massive markups, then think about how much cheaper they can price it and still have like a 30% markup, probably 400 bucks. So it's not even like they're feeling that much pain. They, they're a big company. They can take it. They, they could afford to sell it at a loss their first gen, and there's people saying they might. You uh, Guys, like I said, 350 to 500 is my guess. They can afford to do it. Yeah, and 350 to 500 is – that's a, a pretty big uh, range in prices. And I think maybe that might just be a misconception about, like, what you mean by aggressive pricing. Like, that doesn't mean they're going to sell it for – $250 or, or something. I don't know. But I, I could see 400 very easily happening quarter one next year like that. That's assuming, I guess, that uh, availability is slightly better now than it is now. Because if it's not, I guess I could see the 3070 still being like, I don't know, $550 selling for 550 regularly next year. And I mean, with that uh, pricing in mind, $400 still would look pretty damn good. Yeah. So um, let me see here. Timo also writes in, does Intel have any edge in the GPU space other than encoding that can bring to, that they can bring to the table some features they want to push and actually have a very good concept and implementation? AMD seems to be running the show since DLSS was introduced. I assume he means with like FSR and stuff. Um, yes. Uh, I've heard they're playing around with some type of ultra smooth frame rate software. And that's all I can say at this moment. Something to have frame pacing better than the competition, which is interesting because it seems like they've almost mastered frame pacing by now. Um, that's all I can say, but it, I mean, what I'm hearing is, no, they really are preparing a full software stack. Look, Intel 
does not plan to do a half-ass launch. And again, to the people that doubted Z and still doubt Z, I would just say, just please acknowledge how bad it would be if Intel failed with Z to their shareholders. It just, they can't really afford to with how ahead AMD is and everything else right now. So, uh, but the short answer is yes, is they were working on, from what I've heard, their own version of DLSS or FSR or we'll just say Frank Boomstein, you know? And also they're looking into FSR and then also some other custom stuff like a smooth frame rate delivery thing. So that and encoding. And like, what else do you, you know, if they do encoding better, rendering better, if they're as efficient as the competition at competitive prices for the performance, and then they also have extra frame smoothing software. I I think that's a pretty good launch product stack. Although, I, I again, I do hear mo- some of this won't be ready at launch. I don't expect the yeah. ZSS is what I've heard it called, so Z super sampling or smooth frame delivery thing ready right away. I mean, the only other thing that I guess I, maybe it's been mentioned before that I don't remember, is there anything they, they you've heard about like, ray tracing with z because that uh, be yeah big... i said that in the leak as well as it sounds competitive okay. um that's just what i'm gonna say it sounds competitive with rdna2 and amp or some people would say well they're not the same well i don't know in some games rdna2 is really impressive in ray tracing actually and one source said something to the effect of not quite as good per segment as ampere but better than amd per segment and okay. people would be good to remember that Intel was pi- not pioneering, but working with the world of tanks devs to implement ray tracing on Ice Lake. Oh, that's like, true. They've been working on this, guys. They just haven't had strong graphics cards yet. <laughs> so I wouldn't rule out that they could be very competitive in ray tracing. I, I really wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I uh, mean, that's the last thing. <laughs> if they can meet the market with all of that, I, I don't know. Intel will make a huge splash or... If they unveil it and they'll say this is coming soon. Okay, let us move on to the final story. Valve rumored to challenge Nintendo with a Windows 10 gaming handheld, dot, 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 with Van Gogh. Quoting from Ars Technica, on Tuesday, SteamDB operate, database operator Pavel, oh boy, Dejundik, hope I said that right, spotted the change in Steam's code, which pointed to a new device called the Steam Pal. The name is a derivative of a previously discovered code name Neptune, which began appearing in September of last year and came with a Neptune-optimized games string. At the time, curious code crawlers thought this discovery for just some type of controller. But I, Sam Makovec at Ars Technica, can independently confirm the device's existence and development, and I can point to Newell's very loud hints that something console-related will be announced later this year. But Valve is still in a position to change gears, pun intended, at a moment's notice. The company could either delay or outright cancel this portable gaming PC project for any number of reasons. As we've learned from a massive 2020 report on the development of Half-Life, Alex, Valve loves to create, incubate, and then cancel (laughs) things. So, at the very least, though, and I double-checked this with someone before, we uh, recorded, Dan. Van Gogh sounds alive, and it does sound like this could use it. We can't confirm what Van Gogh will be in, and we can't confirm that this is coming out. But Steam is, you know, Valve is working on a handheld, and I think they should. And I, it sounds like Van Gogh will come to something, even if it was canceled in some of its initial contracts. I mean, I don't know how if it's been produced at all at any scale, but that that seems if it was, that would seem like a good purchase from Steam to just, you know, 
buy up Van Gogh to uh, to put in some, I don't know, little portable gaming thing that I guess I don't know how popular it would be, but I assume there's some market for it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of what else there is to add on to this, except for like you're saying, like Sony's just not as far as we can tell, really seriously making anything for handhelds. The PSP was a solid entrant, selling over 80 million units, surprisingly, like the only handheld to really take decent market share relative to Nintendo, but they've just abandoned that. They just don't seem to care about that right now. And I mean, you know, you're seeing a lot of these haphazard Kickstarters, Chinese kind of lesser-known named companies making handheld Windows gaming devices. You know, Valve could afford to make something that's aggressively priced, not $1,000, but like $500. And with Van Gogh, yeah, you're looking at something definitely stronger than any gaming handheld right now. And... Uh, it makes a lot of sense. This is an untapped market, and unless Sony or or Xbox, someone and does someone, I mean, even that uh, what was it that Neo Lakefield handheld mm-hmm. phone that was going to flip open and support gaming, not coming, you know. So this is just an untapped market, and someone should do it. And why not? Why not Valve? I think that'd be very cool, and I'm excited to hear Van Gogh should still come out. Yeah, I, I do wonder how untapped the market is at this point. I, I would love to see if there's any if there's like metadata available for like uh, when people are using the switch as a mobily or when they're just using it as like a normal console, because, well, actually, I guess that would just be what the uh, second version of the switch that can't dock, because I, I feel like there's this impression, at least that in America, there's not much of a desire to have a handheld anymore. I think clearly the switch at least semi disproves that. <laughs> But yeah, I would love to see I think, the yeah, I think the Switch entirely disproves that. <laughs> because what? that? Yeah, well, that's going to sell probably, or almost as well as the PS4 at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, it's definitely on track for that. It's doing phenomenally well, and they aren't even really doing price drops. So it's like <laughs> the, they're making so much money off of this. Right. I, you know, I just don't, you know, I think the people that would say, why doesn't Sony make a Vita 2 or a PSP 2 or whatever the hell they would call it, I would say, well, the problem with the PSP and Vita was it just always felt like some of the exclusives they put on it should have maybe just sold better and come out on the PS3 or 4. I think yeah. that's the main problem with, and, and, you know, Nintendo solved, had the same problem, but they solved it, you know, once... They just made it their only console. And I, I just don't know that it makes sense for Sony to bother with this unless they try some other avenue, like also making the handheld a phone or like literally building something the same performance as like some five nanometer customized die shrink of what's in the PS5. So it's literally the same ecosystem. That's an interesting option. But as long as you have to split up your catalog of games, I don't know that it makes sense for Sony to compete with them. And Nintendo already kind of proved that the best selling one they've ever done is one that doesn't split up the catalog yeah because at the end of the day then what's you're going to get on your mobile platform is second fiddle games which i also kind of sucks because like i i like games like metal gear solid peace walker i guess you could say was kind of a second fiddle game to like the mainline metal gear solid some people would say that's the best one ever made it's one of the best if you haven't played it but it's a fantastic game that they didn't have the data available on the UMDs, so they had to do like little weird looking like cartoon 
uh, or like draw appear to be drawn cutscenes. But you know, that was a great, great game. One of the best in the series, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess it's funny. This wasn't a planned discussion, but let's talk about it. I mean, <laughs> I, I think if Sony wanted to get back into handhelds, it would it would have to be a semi, let's just be it, let's admit it, a semi half-assed approach that's really a gaming phone again. That's the only thing I could see them really trying hard with, where they just bring a bunch of ports from previous gen to it to play on the go. Or they just wait a little longer. Like let like we're let's get into the wrap up now. Um, yeah. We'll kind of merge into it. One of my stories in the wrap up is four nanometer in twenty twenty two, three nanometer end of twenty twenty two from TSMC. You know, I don't think five nanometer would be enough, but maybe they you know wait till twenty twenty three and launch a three nanometer die shrink of what's in the PS5, you know, at that point you might be able to get it so it's like under 50 watts or something. And like, you know, get it so that it can run all of the same games, maybe with a less stable frame rate, but it can do it in a reasonable package. Like I, I feel like if it's not, again, let's just be honest, a half-assed Android gaming Xperia <laughs> thing, that Sony, it would behoove them to have it just literally be able to run PS5 games. Like let well, it literally run them. I mean, and if it like had its own screen, it could just be a 1080p screen, and I don't know, or for, or maybe at that point it would even be cheap enough to do a 1440p screen and have things run at a re similar frame rates just at 1440p. But also, this has to be said that this is completely speculative, and I would not bet any money that something like this is going to come out, or Sony would even. Or no, this is not a leak or spec. You know, this is complete speculation on why. On what makes handhelds successful and why the market, at the very least, because it can play all the same games, is just ripe for a full-throated launch of some real Windows gaming handheld by a real full big company that can support it at an aggressive price point, sell it for almost at a loss. And that's Valve, and, and that's what makes yeah. it exciting to me. And to bring it all the way back to the the potential Valve handheld, you know, I mean, P PC is already, or Steam is already a potentially unified platform. You just download, have the Steam app on mm -hmm. all of these when you download it, and oh, all of your games that you have on Steam for your PC, you have on this little handheld. Sure, it probably won't play them at, we'll probably play them at like 720p or something. Or actually, I don't know what Van Gogh's performance would be at this point, but. I mean, it, it, Van Gogh is like 8 RDNA 2. Or around there, you know, some people, RDNA 1.5, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever the, it's an RDNA implementation in the handheld with some ray tracing support and stuff, I believe. So, it, it, you know, it'd be that and, but it's like a t 5 to 12 watt targeted SOC. So the difference would be that I would just kind of suspect it games as well as Saison's graphics, but at like half the power usage. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think you're, you, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you're like looking at RX I don't know, 560 performance, something mm -hmm. around there, you know, around a PS4, but with a CPU that's substantially stronger than a PS4 or PS4 Pro or Xbox One X. So something that could run it, you know, could run kind of 720p at 60 frames pretty reliably in a lot of games in 1080p or even higher than 1080p, let's be honest, if they're old enough. Like, you could certainly play Skyrim probably, and, like, who knows, you know? Like, I mean, that'd be very exciting, and yeah, I think that's what the performance you're looking at, though. You know, yeah, and I I do think there would be a number of people that would want to get that. I guess, I guess I don't know if the number would be in like the 
tens or hundreds of thousands. I don't think it would be much bigger than that, but may, I don't know. Maybe it could. there would be a few million people interested in it. Well, let's move on to this other article that's in the wrap-up. Just again, I guess we're in the wrap-up now since I brought up one of the stories. So Nintendo Switch Pro rumors are heating up. I just, you know, it's coming out this year. It's not a full new generation. I did read about it a little mm-hmm. bit, though, because I feel like we were neglecting it. It seems like it's either a overclocked, die shrunk version or something of or or again or or just a better bend overclocked now there's some changes to the die it seems with like 4k output and stuff so like an upgraded version of the existing tegra they have or it seems like it might be some kind of custom pascal or even volta xavier Hmm. thing which is what i was hoping for which yeah that yeah you're looking at something four or five times stronger it could run some of the newer games but i don't know i i don't think that rumor is as substantiated i've seen enough people say no 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 it's like double the performance at most it's probably like a pascal upgrade or something with 4k output yeah so if it's uh, i hope it's something substantial so nintendo volta would be sick yeah, so like Nintendo actually starts getting most third-party games on their platform. I guess that's also to say if they even want that because they don't seem to and their strategy seems to be working fine. So what the hell do I know? But I, it would be cool to see Nintendo actually try to compete slightly against other <laughs> other consoles that exist right now. Okay, and moving on now, just down the rest of the wrap-up, we have 7400 megahertz DDR5 just officially launching, it looks like, in quarter three. So one thing worth mentioning about DDR5, too, is that it has a larger supported voltage range, so it's not all about just, ooh, we have to make it run at a lower. No, you can actually run it at higher voltages with official spec at way high clocks already. Mm. Um, I mean, they've already got some overclock frequencies to 12... 1,600 megahertz, it says here. Uh, so you could see some DDR5 overclocking with APUs. That's awesome. You yeah. Wait, and is- I think GDR5 is on the way out then. I think we'll see how cheap it is, relatively speaking, because if, let's be honest, if DDR5 is more expensive per gigabyte than GDDR5, you're still going to get GDDR5 graphics cards. But long term, yeah, DDR5 is just going to be like DDR4 cards now. Yeah, I mean, it's that's incredibly fast at this point. <laughs> like, that's that's as fast as GDR5. Another interesting thing, USB-C, a new spec confirmed that allows up to 240 watts of power through it instead of the 100 <laughs> of the previous one. Uh, I would just love if every laptop just had a standard USB-C charging and pass-through. That would just be... I mean, that's the goal. And I do think that's what we'll probably see in about within five years. But it's going to take a while to standardize on it. I mean, 240 watts, that that's where it starts to point to, I would say, like USB-C just taking over as a new standard port just in general almost. That was always the goal. <laughs> like, how awesome would it be if everything just used one connector? <laughs> Again, that's the goal. But I think it's going to take years to get yeah, there. It and will. Of course, Apple won't support it, damn. No. Um, also 6900 XTX pictures, re- uh, very reference model from AMD surface again. Uh, I wouldn't read into the listed pricing and stuff, but it is interesting that AMD may actually launch a reference 6900 
XTX liquid cooled edition. I mean, you could see this thing having like stock clocks of like 2.7, 2.8 gigahertz. And then they could, let's be honest, they could sell it for 1500 from their website and just be like, yep, here's a 3090. And hey, yeah. if, if availability started to improve, this could really put downward pressure on AIV 6900 XTs. Oh, that's true. I, I I don't have much else to add to that. I would love, I would love downward uh, pressure applied to AIBs to reduce their prices. I mean, also we have the Samsung Exynos, which has AMD IP for ray tracing and variable rate shading. That's exciting. And also Battlefield Six reveal coming in a few days, Dan. Actually coming. What is it going to be like a day after this video goes live? Well, there you go. <laughs> Um, hopefully the, uh, hopefully the trailer is better than the Battlefield 5 reveal trailer. Although based on, based on all <laughs> indications, I think they realized that, uh, they lost a lot of goodwill with their, uh, with Battlefield fans with Battlefield 5. So I'm assuming, I don't think, yeah. I'm assuming they're going to be trying real hard with Battlefield 6. It seems more and more like this is a modern in gameplay battlefield but that it's going to probably take place 10 20 years in the future mm -hmm. almost like a Shadowfall combat type game that sounds cool yeah i mean it's a lot of people have been asking for a new modern one a lot of people have been asking are we ever going to get a sci-fi battlefield i think they're going to go in the middle and i think that's the sweet spot by the way i don't want all laser guns i want you know your you know your m4s and ak's and an94s and you know with the with the newest stuff also in the game as well but you know don't be afraid to put in a lot of vtols don't be afraid <laughs> to have like one mission where you like do like jumps into space or something like let's let's make it fun though let's allow for the canon to allow for some interesting maps what about another modern shooter in the middle east though tom instead <laughs> I think I've seen enough. <laughs> enough already, everybody. All right, and the last part of the wrap-up wrap is, I mean, I'm the one who leaked God of War coming to uh, the PS5 God of War reveal. It's now officially delayed to 2022, which I don't think is very surprising. The surprising part to me is, well, not necessarily surprising, disappointing to any PlayStation fan would be that. they And it's not just God of War. They, Sony just announced Gran Turismo God of War are also in addition to Horizon PS4 games as well. And I don't know how much I have to really talk about it, except that that's just so stupid. Yeah, I I, I don't know why there, there's this whole thing where the last generation needs to continue on indefinitely. Uh, but it seems like no matter what move companies it seems like when a company wants to move on to a new platform or do something uh, at this point, everybody just gets really mad and yells anti-consumer. Like the fact that uh, the most backwards compatible generation of all time, people are screaming, this is terrible. What what have we come to expect? It's like this is I, if you're looking at it from a perspective of availability for everything on every platform because apparently that's what people want now <laughs> i i guess i, I guess uh yeah this is great for you i guess you don't want graphics or performance or anything to ever get better because you want to be locked on fucking what by that point it will be nine year a nine-year-old console good i'm glad that's what we decided we want yeah and i guess there'd be some people who would say i should point out hey look i also think it's dumb that the new Halo supposedly will be on Xbox One. That's yeah, also that's... stupid. I've never liked that. Let's move on to a new generation. And, and also for PC gaming, can developers just please move on so that, you know, 
Resident Evil 8 that loads in under two seconds on the PS5 can not have long hallways needlessly, clearly in a few sections so the PS4 Xbox versions can load. Like, I just want to move on. I want the better graphics. And I think that it's a little extra dumb perceptively, though, for Sony to do this because their entire argument was we believe in generations. And then they're just like, uh, except when it comes to our biggest games. Yeah, I know. And I was excited at the beginning of the PS5 generations because, you know, there was... Toxic, talking about new ways of rendering things you by uh, leveraging the IO of the SSD, I mean, by leveraging the speed of the SSD and insane improvements to IO. But I guess instead of doing that, we're just going to be stuck on uh, making games with a uh, revolutionary SSD uh, and a strong graphics card. I guess those games are also going to be limited by a 1.8 teraflop graphics card and a 5200 rpm hard drive on a base ps4 because that's what for we both want. the biggest releases for both halo and for god of war it's so fucking dumb in my opinion uh, yep. i just i'm so sick of <sighs> i want uh yeah the the only thing i would say is i just do think this is different than the horizon thing horizon forbidden west they started production on that game right after the other Horizon came out. So that was always going to be, that was initially planned to be a PS4 game. That was always going to use the older engine. That was always going to have those somewhat of limitations. And the demo they showed off for Horizon Forbidden West looks insanely uh, uh, great anyway. So I'm not really, I don't think that game's really the issue. That was always going to be a hybrid generation game. And what they showed so far looks draw-droppingly beautiful. So it doesn't seem like it's a big, of, again, you know, but I think when it comes to like Gran Turismo, there's like no excuse. Like how often do they even release a Gran Turismo game? Isn't it every two fucking decades at this point? I mean, <laughs> they take so freaking long to release these games. It's like, dude, this is going to be your Gran Turismo for the entire generation, most likely. Just put it on the new one. And and God of War had a lot of loading areas clearly on PS4, and it will again because of this. So it's just not the same as Horizon. Horizon, I actually almost give a pass because it is an established series that was started early. But this these don't get passes. This is stupid. Yeah, and there's always a year. There, there's always like that year transition, cross-generation year. And we're still in that. But now both major com- now both major companies are are making the argument that no the cross generation era should go two maybe even three years into the generation yeah. like th- this is dumb and yeah i know ratchet and clank i know there's you know metal gear solid remakes probably not on ps4 although would it surprise you anymore if it was it wouldn't surprise me i guess um you know yada 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 and and you know you can certainly also bring up that battlefield 6 is supposedly gonna be on ps4 and xbox one i don't know how the hell they'll fit that on there i love their what they've said so far we're gonna bring a next-gen gaming experience to last gen well then you're not so (laughs) like (laughs) like supposedly you're expanding player counts and doing crazy stuff possibly even with outer space i don't know how you're Gonna really fully realize that unless the maps on the last gen just suck, which again, I kind of hope they do. Like, get a new, don't support hard drives. I don't know. Again, same thing with Battlefield 6. I'm not being like, I'm not just hating on Sony. I'm, I think it's dumb for whenever these companies do it, but, but it's extra dumb because Sony's the one who made a big deal about generations and they just, come on. Come on. I mean, like, come on. We drank your Kool Aid, Mark Cerny, and now you're just acting like a dipshit. Yeah. But wasn't his decision, I'm sure. 
<laughs> Jensen Wang writes in, would you bet $50 that an NVIDIA-designed SoC is in the Switch Pro? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, be- I don't know that I bet 100000 I wouldn't bet all of my money. I wouldn't bet my house's mortgage on it, but yeah, I would. <laughs> wouldn't you, Dan? I just f- yeah. I feel like it is. Hey, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but... I, I, I mean, I like literally without even looking it up, I just feel like it is. All right. That is all of the stories, all of the wrap up stories. And uh, yeah, this is, I think, you know, because of the insane announcements of Computex and the fact that it's the anniversary episode, this is going to be a rather rotund episode, shall we say. I don't think it's a very bloated one, though. If anything, I think we've moved very fast with how much we've had to cover. Um, you know, showing how much better at this we are than the previous <laughs> two. I mean, my God, the yeah, difference gotten in... better. And again, if you listen to the first Broken Silicon, let me just say this again. Like, I actually think it aged quite well with what we talk about, what we say, and how we sound. It's just when people complain about me cutting you off in that, I want to be clear. Not that I didn't sometimes, but half of those were I, – I clearly mismatched the audio files for a couple of bytes <laughs> for one second. And I apologize. So, like, if you want a difference in competency, listen to this episode and listen to the first one because there is just a massive difference. We've been at it for two years. I'm not very good at talking, I don't think. I've gotten better, though. I don't know, Dan. I don't know. You don't know. Okay, so let's get into We have some final reader mails, as always, and then we have some bonus uh, reader mails that we requested since it is the anniversary episode. I'll give you a little bit of extra, but again, it's going to be at the end because we don't want to waste people's time that just want a normal episode. But um, CW writes in, hello, Tom and guest co-host. It's Dan, CW. I'm curious if smaller scale miners would invest in an off-grid solution for poorly priced electric regions. According to the Pew Research Center in a 2019 study, there are four in 10 homeowners that have seriously considered installing solar panels for their homes. I'm always considering it myself. With a growing interest of renewable energy for people's homes, do you believe that there will be much interest in having green crypto mining rigs? Well, there already is for large-scale miners in the U.S. and Europe. I mean, they all – a lot of it is in Iceland because there's renewable – what is it? uh, The uh, molten energy there. Geothermal. Geothermal energy there. And it's, of course, cold, so that's nice. Um, And land's cheap, so they could just build a giant warehouse for nothing, you know. I was going to say, I think they would still be better off, though, building in a low energy cost region if the, if that's uh, permissible, obviously, because, you know, solar energy isn't 100 percent reliable. So you can be you can be kind of off the grid with solar, but you can't be completely off the grid with solar. Well, that's actually not entirely true. No. From what I've heard recently reading around, miners really do just care about the price of energy, number one. Some of them, then number two, will care about if it's green. And then number three is reliability because they'll have backup generators and stuff. And if it goes out for an hour, they don't care. If my energy goes out for an hour every day here, I care. They mostly just care about dollar per hour. They can put up with a reboot once a day if it means the energy's half as expensive. And that's what they put up with with a lot of these mining uh, locations they go to, by the way. No, I'm just saying, I think, why would you, even if you're going to build a factory, I don't, a mining plant or something, it, why would, even if you were going to mostly try to use like off the grid solar to power it, and how maybe even, I guess it powers down at night or something or when there's a storm um may i i still think they would be better served by being in a 
region that doesn't have expensive energy because yeah the energy generated from solar is going to be cheaper over time as the solar pays itself off but that having that cheap energy as a backup is still better than having i don't know whatever energy costs in new york city yeah and in other words, to answer CW's question here, the fact that large mining firms care about this, I, I mean, I think it's just always both. I think a lot of people of our generation and younger, millennials and younger, do care about green energy. We do. Let's just say it. We do. Yeah. It's not a stereotype, really. And it's that and also the backup energy. Like, if I get solar panels, it's not... Let's be honest, guys, to save the earth so much as to make sure I get cheaper energy and if the power goes out, I have energy. That That's the main reason I would do it. Um, it's nice to feel like you're helping the environment, but th- there's the selfish reason always there. And I mean, yeah, I think moving forward as crypto becomes more mainstream, it's logical that people will do that for their own homes, especially when you can heat your house with it and get, you know, mm-hmm. during the fall and stuff. Um, but yeah, so Bullethead writes him, with the GPU market being trash for the foreseeable future and big 27 plus inch 4K60 panels creeping into the sub $300 range, frankly, Bullethead, they were there years ago. They just weren't as nice as the ones we have now. Um, what's some advice on when to time a monitor upgrade? Is it better to take advantage of a deal on a monitor as close to when a GPU drops, even if you can't guarantee you can get a GPU with the horsepower to use it to its max potential? Or is it better to get the GPU first and worry about the monitor later? You know, this is an easy answer. I want to go first on this, Dan. It's always just two separate purchases for me. It's always two separate purchases. Like, I I just, oh, that's a monitor I want. My old one broke. Or this level of frame rate and resolution combination that I've been looking for for a while. Like for me, it was 4K 120 with some HDR capabilities that finally hit like sub 900. And the second it did, and it was a reliable brand that like look, got good, good, like really good color accuracy. And you've seen my concept D. I think you said, you know, it's mm-hmm. obviously not OLED, but it is impressively good looking. Like that's when I got it. I didn't time it around any GPU release. I got it when I still had, uh, I think, yeah, Radeon 7. And look, I used it with most of my games. Like, I could run Battlefield 1 and 4K above 100 with a Radeon 7. wasn't hard at all. You know, and, and I could, you know, I could play a lot of the games we play on there, like Deep Rock Galactic at 4K or 1800p at least, 100 or so. Most of the games I played, I could run above 1440p, well above 1440p, at above 90 frames a second. It's just never been about timing it. I, I've never gotten a monitor or the graphics card in my life. I've never thought of it that way. It's I want this and then I want that. Two different things. Yeah, and to add to that, I would just say if, to an extent, they still are separate purchases, but I would say, um, well, they are separate purchases, but if you're not able to, or if you're not able to fully leverage your graphics card because of like your monitor holding it back or mostly leverage it, it might be time to think about upgrading your monitor, which is kind of where I'm at now, and I'm looking to upgrade my monitor. Which, yeah, it's not to say that they're, unconnected they are connected you know you had a vega 56 and you were using a which was a very nice upgrade i've heard for you really the biggest upgrade in graphics for you you've had that 4k 60 monitor since you had a 7950 (laughs) (laughs) which is funny to think about i I think you would agree the biggest upgrade for running 4k for you is actually the 30 the 390 
right? Like by three, far. Yeah, yeah. Pro- three ninety, I could just do it. Vega fifty six, I could do it with some ease. Although when I got the sixty seven hundred XT, Vega fifty six was starting to show its age a little bit in that regard. I mean, if I did resolution scaling, I could generally hit 4K 60 with like 70% resolution scale or something. But uh, yeah, 390 390 might be it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but in other words, though, there's a connection. And now that you have a 6700 XT, thanks to to the connections I have, Dan— yeah. But you're part of the Moore's Law's Dead crew, so we should say we have. I mean, look, look, you know, and we paid for it. You know, I don't, you know, it was like five fifty is what we ultimately got it for, and I gave the guy an extra tip. I mean, you know, you, now you are looking for a newer monitor. But mm-hmm. to be fair, it was still very nice to just go from a Vega fifty six to a sixty seven hundred XT on your existing four K sixty monitor. It wasn't like you were. Oh, now I need a new monitor. You got the benefits of that new card nonetheless, and you got the four K monitor before getting the new graphics cards. You know, yeah. with your seven nine fifty, simply because you got a good deal on something exponentially better than what you had before. Like I don't know, you had like a ten. What yeah, the hell I did you have? Ten eighty P Vizio. Yeah, it was yeah, it was a a crappy old LED, like massive ghosting 1080p 60 TV is what you were using. Um, All right, so I think we answered that question though. Um, Moving on to Timo here. Question, update, request of VRAM situation in 2021. I remember GDR6 was talked in podcasts a couple of years ago to close to being $1 to $2 at a some price point. Is this the actual pricing situation now? Uh, what upgrade paths could we see in next GPU models for VRAM capacity and type? Um, so your first question, no. I said 5 to $7 for GDR6 late 2020. And that's to my knowledge, still mostly true, although prices have gone up due to shortages, so I don't know what it is in effect. But I know NVIDIA bought up millions of chips of GDR6, so they probably had stockpiles of that for a long time. I mean, I think GDR6X was like 7 bucks at most per gigabyte, GDR6, $6-ish, um, and then GDR5, $5, or, you know, not that much less, guys, for how much less bandwidth <laughs> it is, to be honest. But, yeah, I mean, that's the price, and once the shortages go away, I expect that to be the price. I mean, it's not as expensive as you'd think. And then if you go before that, though, I mean, I do know at one point, God, when was that? I want to say then you can also go back, and for four gigabytes of HBM, it was like over 150 bucks or something on the Fury X or more. Like, I remember that, and I remember them saying that the Radeon 7, it was like, $320 $320 for 16 gigabytes. So, but that's changed since then as well. Stu writes in, and this is part of what Timo's second question was Tom, if I'm not mistaken, Infinity Cache is based on SRAM and CPUs. So, will we see an increase in CPU cache sizes uh, and GPU cache sizes on RDNA 3 with 3D stacking? It almost seems like the more cache, the better when you get to 4K. Well, that's true to a certain extent, but there's diminishing returns. I mean, I actually just got some information that suggests the cash increase from RDNA 2 to 3 could be absurdly more. And I'll just leave it at that for now before I can confirm it with enough sources to be confident in saying it publicly. But yeah, I think you're going to see massive cash increases with RDNA 3, enough that it suggests there could be 3D stacking on top of it. And after seeing Zen 3D, would that surprise anybody? Well, yeah, and to uh, go back, I think that was the last episode we did where they, they, uh, it was that graph that was like showing hit rate versus uh, in resolution mm-hmm. versus uh, cache size. 
And I pointed out that like in 4K, they're still at like a linear stage in the curve with the cache size, which means I think there's a lot more room to go before they start reaching that, uh, before it starts uh, leveling off, like you saw with 1440p and 1080p. And if the information I just heard is correct, it's effectively substantially more cache for that reason to go all the way up to 8K resolutions. Yeah. And then, so that, so when I say a lot more, guys, I mean like, like a magnitudes more, like hundreds, you know, a, a lot, <laughs> lot, lot more. Um, and then also then like basically doubling it again, similar to what RDNA 2 did with chiplets so that they don't lose too much performance with multiple dies. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and then the other question is, and I think that was up there, yeah, is like, you know, what do you think about RDNA 3 is going to use, though? Timo kind of asked that for next-gen GPU models. I still kind of expect GDR6 for AMD. For NVIDIA, I don't know. For NVIDIA, I somewhat suspect, unless they're going to a similar um, Infinity Cache system to AMD, that they will probably have to move to HBM2E or 3 if they're There's, not going with that. Like, they need more bandwidth. I, I think GA102 should have had HBM. Well, and there's nothing with uh, GDR7 in the foreseeable future. Right? I've I've heard nothing about it, at least. I mean, like what? We're, we're here. Like, let me just check. Yeah, like in a couple of years, there's going to be a GDR7, but there's no evidence of it coming mm-hmm. necessarily soon enough. And I think from AMD's point of view infinity cache is their solution and they'd rather just like tri- like quadruple infinity cache or something than move on to a new memory standard that's way more expensive and more power usage mm-hmm. all right let us move on to the bonus reader mails since this is the anniversary episode Let's just kick back a little bit here me and dan cracked up in a couple of briskets and uh we're gonna answer a few more from the community Clean Sweep writes in, got on the bandwagon of Moore's Law's Dead during the 10 years of being a PC gamer videos being posted on r slash AMD. Ah, that was an r slash AMD. Let people share my videos. I don't even think they literally let you anymore. But, uh, (laughs) God, that place is a joke. It kept with the channel due to the mix of grounded perspective leaks, shooting the shit with Dan, and interviews, conversations with all sorts of tech people. It's a good mix that most other tech channels don't have, since most of them are focused on just reviews or leaks exclusively. Anyways, keep up the good work, guys. Yeah, I mean... Ultimately, I think what me and you try to do, Dan, is cover gaming hardware, and that involves reviews, and we can do them, that involves covering the news extensively and giving our opinions on the latest news, and that also involves accepting leaks when we can from sources we trust, because if I can confirm what RDNA 3 is a year before it comes out, then it would behoove me to confirm that so my (laughs) opinion's better. Right. Yeah. It's not about leaking for me. It's just about trying to get perspective. Yeah, I don't know. And now you're uh, you're you're up there now with uh, some of the biggest uh, leakers. But, you know, the channel does do a lot more than just that. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, most of the stories, I think, didn't really cover a, a leak you did, although you've had a, a particularly leaky past couple weeks. I have. Well, and it's a lot of it is just there's so much I can talk about. Again, I never understand these tech tubers that are like, I don't know what to talk about this week. I'm like, uh, okay, well, (laughs) I can't stop. Um, You know, it's I just have enough sources now that I trust that I have enough info that 
I might as well involve some leak in my video because I just have so much information now and that that's why there's so many leaks I do. Just because if I can talk about something that's lesser known, ultimately that was always my goal. I never wanted to, for example, in the beginning when I talked about Intel or like Zen 2, Zen 3, you know, I never wanted to just say the same thing, which is a lot of these tech tubers just put out, especially the ones that don't do reviews, but just give their opinions. Just are like, I think this is good. And that might as well be their whole video. I, if I see a lot of people saying, I think one thing is good, I go, oh, okay. Well, that seems to be covered enough. We've heard enough out of that opinion. What is being missed that I think most people should be a paying attention to. And so that really blends into leaks easily then. Yeah. Timo writes in again, don't know if it's too late for this latest episode. You barely made the cut, Timo. But I'm just looking at the Discord meme collection. I don't know the story of all of those. As far as I know, there's no document of these. Could you shine some light on the lesser used ones? Like Dan is okay is clearly something. I mean, I think our first broken silicon, I was just like, and this is the planned co-host of the news episodes. Is Dan good? Is he at least okay? And Dan, we got like a hundred comments. Dan is okay. <laughs> so the joke is to never give you, <laughs> basically to never say good things about you. The most we're allowed to say is that you're okay. Which, you know, ironically does feed into my personality pretty well, if you know me. <laughs> so. Of hating yourself. I, I don't hate myself. It's just don't. Don't say I did a good job because I don't believe you. I mean, frankly, I have a lot of that, too. I think some people, I'm very bad at taking compliments. Yeah. And I think it comes through in some of the interviews where they're like, oh, I like that one video. And I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't take compliments either. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, so we hate ourselves equally. Um, and then I would say, you know, I'm trying to think of other things. The Ape King thing was someone jumped in our Discord and called all of us apes and said, Tom is the Ape King. And then we just all started laughing and going, all hail the Ape King, all hail the Ape Kingdom. Because <laughs> we just couldn't believe someone would attack our community by spamming your apes over and over. Like, what a bizarre insult. When did I? I that was like a like year ago. I feel like I vaguely re remember you telling me about that one. And that's still uh, that's still one of those in there. I mean, I'm trying to think of what else there is. The 50 gigahertz one was someone was constantly spamming. We should be on 50 gigahertz by now. And then Rage quit the Discord for some reason because people kept saying that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's a good perspective. but Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd be nice. But I mean, I don't know. Um, the 95 TDP, 95 watt TDP inside is just the constant joke at Intel's supposed 95 watt TDPs when they're never using that much energy remotely. Um, and some people will go, oh, they measure TDP differently. Well, okay, but it's like a lot different than the actual power usage. Yeah, they, I mean, they measure it by uh, measuring the heat and then lying about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like this is the thermal watt design. We think our products should be throttling most of the time, which is true to a certain extent, but it's so insane calling some of their chips like 65 watt too, to where it's like constantly throttling like 99.99%. It's ridiculous. Or just, you know, every motherboard manufacturer by default puts on an <laughs> yeah. override to that. So, yeah, whatever. Because <laughs> if they don't, they'll just look bad in reviews. Yeah. But that's the the ones that come to mind, Timo. 
Melodic Warrior writes in, I don't have a question, but just a big thank you to you guys. My intro to Moore's Law is Dead started probably around the time Broken Silicon episode 25 came out. 25. I started to follow the content of the channel more closely after that because at the time, a lot of tech tubers I had been following, besides the usual suspects, were not as interesting to me due to a lack of appealing content. You were, at the time, the only tech tuber I knew who was looking in the future and basically preparing for it and helping the rest of us understand the importance of being a listener in logical researches. Yeah, I always tried to tie it back to like what's going on today. I can definitely state outright that the content was big help in me wanting to get more involved in PC hardware. The leaks you provided were way better vetted overall, and you have been probably the most down-to-earth, but also the strongest character of any count, uh, creator I've met long-term. Oh, yeah, see, this isn't good. Dan's already not liking the... This is, oh. you got to stop complimenting us. I appreciate your willingness to always push the content and yourself to do better. Thanks for making me a mod. Looking forward to the incredible growth we will have very soon, I'm sure. And I just looked up what Broken Silicon 25 was. That was the server engineer. Ah, uh, yes. I really like that episode. That was the second server engineer. Oh, okay. I think that was the best of the three, personally. Yeah. Um, highly recommend that one. That brought in a lot of people, too. A lot of people said that was a cut above the normal analysis of that type of stuff. All right. iMac writes in, hi, Tom and Dan. Congratulations on two years. Tom, do you remember when you first thought seriously about making Moore's Laws Dead your full-time job? Did anything specific cause this? How did Dan respond when you told him? <laughs> when did you? Um, when did you? It was before I lived. No, yeah, you you quit like. Your full time, you quit your uh, uh, job like probably a month before I lived with. I think you it was a month months. after you left. Was oh, it was. You're right. You're right. I I want to say it was a month after you left. It was in June of 2020. When was I first seriously considering making it my full time job? Late 2019. Wouldn't you? I mean, I was already talking about it, and I actually considered leaving yeah. in December, but I thought, you know, I kept looking at people who started their own businesses, and they're all like, whatever amount of money you think you need to save up, make it quadruple. Make it double <laughs> if you can. Make it double, at least, yeah, it was at least double it, and if you can, quadruple it. Now, we've been fine because the channel's been successful our whole life, thank God. We, we I mean, it's been a, <laughs> I mean, look at the amount of content we put out. It's been a lot of work that's gotten us there. But it, like I, I, I actually do don't want to just say, oh, we're lucky because I think, you know, our work is why it's, you know, survived so well. But the, I definitely started considering it late 2019. And it was in 2020, it was the fake Big Navi leak, actually, that made oh. me finally. I was going to quit by the end of July anyways, I believe. But it was the... Um, that came out, and for some reason, I just had, like, an exhaustion attack. Because <laughs> you guys got to understand, so I would basically work 9 to 5 and then work another 6 hours and then collapse from exhaustion. And I was doing that from late 2019 to mid-2020. And I just, that's when I was like, oh, I haven't had this before. It's time to stop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, the and content quality got so much better after I quit. Yeah, and you, like, you were doing... You weren't like slacking on your job, your full time job that you quit. Like you were still working pretty hard hours a day, traveling. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe at some point you lost some of the. <laughs> maybe you weren't working as hard, but I don't know. From my perspective, you're working harder than 
most people do at their one job. So <laughs> yeah, from with just my because you lived with me when the quarantine yeah. started, so you saw it firsthand. I mean, I would wake up and just work, and then work, and then work until like ten every night. Yeah, and I, my, and I felt really bad over the time because. I didn't have anything to do for two months. <laughs> That's right, because you were on furlough, and it was very easy to get you to do things for me, because it's like, please make me do something. I'm tired of watching you work 10 hours a day while I sit in your guest room. Yeah, I was like, hey, your lawn's a little bit, your lawn's slightly long. Should I just start mowing it all the time now? <laughs> and I was like, yes, you should. <laughs> Thank you for offering. Now go do it. Um, I, I mean, what was your reaction to me telling you that? Was there really one? I, I, the first time you brought it up, I don't know, I, I guess I was a bit nervous about it just because, you know, it's a big change and you're not in a traditional job anymore. By the time you by the time you actually decided to pull the trigger on it, I, I felt like it was time, like you were making enough money. So I wasn't really too nervous about it anymore at that point. Yeah, I mean, I. You know, I didn't do the thing where you quit all oh, right when you think it could work. And it's good I didn't because there was a dip. There was a dip late 2019. And by the time I quit, it was obvious that I should have sooner. And that's when you do it. And that's what I would advise to anyone starting their own business. Where do you hope to see the channel in two years from now? I don't know, Dan. <laughs> as big as we can get it. Honestly, I want to get to like the 4096 Patreon supporters with more YouTube subscribers. That's the easy goal. And then be able to hire another audio engineer and an organizer, channel, man, website manager. So two more people. And then just make it so I can add on a couple other podcasts. Like try to remove as much work that I don't have to do myself as possible. Employ other people full time. Th that's the goal. You know, how we get there. It's not like, oh, I want 2 million subs. Nah, not really. I just want to be able to have the income to do that. If we get it from Patreon, I think that'd be better because then I am not beholden to YouTube or anyone. Yeah. Um, and Dan, what animal do you aspire to be killing at that point in time in two years? What are you going for? Well, so I'll say, I just started in my uh, thesis lab, so I'll be mm -hmm. there for probably four years. So it's probably still going to be frogs. <laughs> There's no years. aspirations. <laughs> it's just you will be killing nematodes. Frogs, not nematodes. Or whatever nematodes. they're called, Dan. I don't know. Nematodes are worms. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they are. You're right. Yeah. And Oops. I should add, <laughs> I, uh, that joke comes from I. most people don't want to hear me talk about what I do, so that's the joke I make. Which, not we should say actually, that. That's another one Timo may not understand is why we talk about Dan killing fish and frogs. That's not actually the part of the job I enjoy most. <laughs> no, he doesn't want to hurt animals. It's we should we always do need to bring that up every now and then because people will just think you're some Satanistic animal herder. No, I'm just studying how to like how a bunch of proteins interact with each other people. That's what I do. That's also the name of my new dating show. Proteins interacting? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, baby. Andrew S. writes in, no questions for you guys, but I want to share my appreciation for this community as a whole. I'm not sure when I first started following Moore's Laws Dead regularly, at least a few months before December 2019, as Tom is the reason why I bought a 5700 XT for my son that Christmas, still have it and loving it. I stumbled across the channel twice, though, without realizing Tom was the same guy that I saw monologuing while he was walking through the woods. Oh, God, that one was terrible. And giving overclocking guys for the MX-150s. 
was two fifty technically. The the one fifty one we're not releasing unless we hit the next Patreon goal because <laughs> it's a horrible video. We're not getting there until we hit the next Patreon goal. But he said when we brought those old videos up in a relatively recent video or podcast, I finally connected the dots that that was the same person. I appreciate the content and community so much that I'm happy to volunteer my time to help maintain a quality environment for all those patrons supporting the channel. He is a mod, fat boy, or whatever the hell he's named himself recently. Carbon Cry, Melodic Warrior is be- making a pretty badass moderation team. Can't wait to see what's in store for the rest of the year. Tom, you got some pretty big banger guests in the past, but I suspect there might be several more on the way. Yeah, so uh, multiple that I think could be the biggest for the channel's history. And Dan, you're okay, too. See, there it is. Dan's okay. Free of the props for continuing to make regular appearances during grad school. The Moore's Laws Dead Brother episodes are a channel staple. Oh, thank you. You did it. You took a compliment. I, I did it. Final reader mail in this rather girthy episode. Dan didn't like when I said girthy. No, I don't like it even more. Iden Maltby writes him, I'm curious, what are Dan's plans when it comes to Moore's Law's Dead in general? Long term, I'm sure that killing frogs is far more profitable than chatting with his brother, but unless, I don't know, maybe it's not, unless I'm getting it wrong in the damn whole damn industries. Uh, unless it isn't, and I got in the wrong damn industry. Time. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm falling apart, Dan. This is a long. Fa- this is a girthy I, episode. I, I mean, I think my it, my engagement with the channel is pretty much where I want it to be at. I I have no intention of like quitting my job at some point. I'm a. I, I want to be an academic, so that's where I'm trying to go and you want to be right like let's yeah. let's emphasize you want to be an academic this isn't like oh i don't have to do this anymore no you want to be yeah well it, it, there's this whole thing with like those that can't do teach and it's like well when it comes to biology it's pretty much everybody is in academia or they mm. were in academia and now they're you know doing research still getting government funds but they own a company now instead yeah so i think We've and it's been two years of balancing it perfectly. You can do most die shrinks, and you can do every other broken silicon. And when the you know when the call really comes, you can usually jump in to support stuff. As long as you know, you make a lot of your own hours too, though. So as long as I give you some time off for a future episode to make up the work, what we're doing now, you for the foreseeable future, you'll probably be fine. Uh yeah, I should be. Uh, <laughs> you know, grad school's a lot of hours, but. You're you're not going to quit academia, but there's no plans to quit this either. It's pretty much the report. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, that's all of the reader mails. And I hope this episode was girthy enough for everybody. Um, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if this will be our longest one. I highly doubt it. I think every time I get NX Gamer on, it's. I think the adored one was pretty much insane, too, in length as well. Which what yeah. you guys don't know is we talked for like two or three hours after that was over too. It was like all day we talked. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I think you guys deserved it for the anniversary episode. We hope we made it a little fun at the end here. We hope you enjoyed our coverage of Computex and the other, you know, there's a lot more coming. You know, we're, we're trying to get to 1,500 patrons. That is when we will start putting even more effort into seeing which episodes we can make video ones. I, I need, I think, an external capture thing 
permanently if we're going to make video episodes reliable. That's what's becoming yeah. obvious to me. And that would also make the episodes more reliable and recording as well for higher audio quality. So that's the next goal. That and more special episodes we could afford to do if we get to the next Patreon goal. So remember, if you're listening for these two years, we rely on you. Subscribe if you can uh, to the Patreon. And otherwise, you know, tell your friends about us, as we always do in this voice for some reason. Yeah, because for some reason we think that sounds sketchy. Yeah, I don't know why we always do that voice. We just like, it's one of our default. It's like the Boston one, and then also we always like talking like old mobsters, too. Hey, man. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. All right. Thanks for listening for two years, and hopefully thanks for listening for another two. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasser, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanic Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy D. Saru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in Pennsylvania 81, Nathan Mose, Call Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N., Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Michael McGee, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, HardForeRoom.com, Sam McCarthy, 
Arthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Carrie Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu Alenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Carriman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Danovin Russell, Zaber Zivers Licky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Holum, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Saralite, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Abenini, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Samuel, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. True, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Zajic, Shield TV, Couteau, Dane P, John Wissink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jaskowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindsay, MJB1, SS Jensen Wang, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.